Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, as always, is my broadcast colleague. <laughs> it's Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? Uh, I'm doing good. I always feel like once we finally get to the go home, like the last Nitro before pay-per-view, yeah. it's like, oh, we're finally getting to that pay-per-view now. Yeah. But this one, this time is even different because we've had like six or near, like seven weeks. Yeah, there were six weeks and uh, uh, it took us like, what, four months to record those six weeks? Yeah. <laughs> so it was an extended period uh, by WCW's doing and by our own doing as well. Right, yeah. But uh, no, I, I, I'm always excited to like get to this point so we can finally get to the pay-per-view and any sort of like little the, the last edit like um details to the pay-per-view will finally be showing up and um usually go, the go home one should be a, like a pretty intriguing one yeah because and it'll just give us a good idea as far as like what matches they're going to decide to hype right. and what matches are just going to completely ignore yeah i guarantee we're not going to hear about every match that's on some jim's halloween havoc tonight. sure yeah well, before we go into today's show, I do want to introduce our new segment, and that is Roast Greg Valentine. That is where you, the listeners, send in us uh, your roast of WCW superstar Greg Valentine. This week's roast comes from at Main Eventer X2, who says that Gre- <laughs> who says that Greg Valentine looks like dog diarrhea inside an old leather purse. <laughs> if you would like to send in a roast of Greg Valentine, hit us up on our social media channels on Twitter at 20 years of Nitro or uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 years of Nitro. And of course, you can always email the show with uh, your roast or anything else at 20 years of Nitro at gmail.com. I forget. Did I tell you we were doing that segment? No, I put it on Twitter, and some people sent some stuff in. But. Yeah, no, we meant we mentioned it on the okay. last Nitro, and I was like, "Oh, that's right." I didn't know how I was going to pull off if we were going to wait until it's only when Greg Valentine wrestles. No, because I was like, "Well, chances are he's not going to wrestle for yeah. like a month now or something." No, I like that. I hope that every future episode of our show starts off with a roast of Greg Valentine. <laughs> I I'm all for that. That's depending on you guys out there listening. <laughs> 
Now, today is my dad's 42nd birthday. It's October 21st, 1996, and we are coming to you live from Mankato, Minnesota, my dad's home state, in front of 4,034 fans who paid a total gate of $52,155. But he, he probably didn't spend his birthday at this Nitro, did he? I don't remember 1996 specifically, but my dad and I never went to Nitro at all, so okay. I, I doubt it. <laughs> well, fair enough. I mean, he, I, he didn't leave you at home, though? <laughs> Unlikely. <laughs> this is the 58th episode of WCW Monday Nitro, and it is the go-home show for Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. To start off the episode, Tony Schiavone welcomes us to wrestling's number one program, and he and Larry recap last week's development in Macho Man and Elizabeth. Uh, their whole angle with the video from Miss Elizabeth uh, talking to Macho and saying she loves him again. Mm-hmm. Larry, who has previously been concerned about Macho's mental state heading into his battle with Hulk Hogan this Sunday, is now more concerned that Macho Man may give his checkbook or his charge cards to Liz. She is your ex-wife, he gravely intones. Do you think she does not want to ruin your life again? <laughs> I, I mean, I've never looked it up when it came to Larry, but yeah. he sounds like a guy that's gone through one or two divorces. Uh, we'll talk about that oh, later on, actually. All right. Yeah. What a great episode. <laughs> you teed that up really well. <laughs> we see some replays of her video to Macho last week and his emotional reaction. Then out comes Bobby Eaton, whose body and mullet mark him as a wrestler from another era. Yes. He looks like straight out of a 1980. And uh, even though he's not, he kind of like looks like a jobber. You know, yeah. he looks like a guy from the 80s who was a jobber. Whereas when in the 80s, he was actually like a somewhat a big deal or a bigger deal anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Did we? Um, is this a new development from because I know this whole thing with the Blue Bloods was mainly playing out on Saturday night. Yeah. I just didn't know whether this actual split now was that just the last Saturday night or is this because I feel like this is the first time we were seeing him on Nitro, not as a Blue Blood. I believe that's correct. And gosh, my memory, that's the problem when we take these large gaps. He definitely one of the most recent episodes we watched. He had that fight um, with Dave Taylor. Right. But then I think they tried to make it up on the subsequent Saturday night. And then I think this is the first week that uh, they did not make it didn't work. And he is fully out of the group. They they beat him up and kicked him out. Yeah. It's such a it's such a weird thing. WCW has been doing since Nitro shown up yeah. in which they, they have like storylines that just play out on either Nitro right. or Saturday night. And it's not very helpful for someone that's like, I, I almost never watched Saturday night right. as a kid. Yeah. And it's more, I don't even know if it was more because of just like the time of day that it was at yeah. or just not ever being kind of like consciously aware that's on, on Saturday night. Right. But it's just very difficult for more casual fans that are definitely watching Nitro to have like someone showing up in which you're like, wait, he's not Earl Robert Eaton anymore. Like right. what happened here? Yeah, it would be. I mean, I like the idea of having your own storylines on Saturday night to keep the people that are invested in that show that's been on for so long. Because uh, that, of course, has heritage going back to like the old Crockett days when they had uh, uh, Crockett wrestling on Saturday nights. Uh, but if you're going to do that, like try to either keep those contained completely mm-hmm. um, or do just a little better of a job with a video highlight or something that tells us a little more of what's going on. I mean, the announcers do tell us, but I would just right. like to see a little bit more of a recap to, to clarify what's going on. Yeah, no, I agree. And I know that's going to become an issue um, just anecdotally that I know when we get to the premiere of Thunder that a lot of things will play out on Thunder and then the explanation on Nitro is less than robust. <laughs> Great. So we got that to look forward to. Uh, 
Eaton is fresh out of the Blue Bloods and definitely will need some kind of reinvention if he's going to have a shot at getting over into uh, what WCW is currently transforming into. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, you know, he, he had a spot in the WCW of old, but in the, the promotion that we see it evolving into every week that we review these shows, Eaton is going to struggle to find a place. And it's kind of a bummer because I thought that where he was was a pretty good position for him, especially since, like, they have a pretty a pretty good tag team division. Right. And I thought that, like, the Blue Bloods had, like, integrated themselves pretty well when yeah. they were, like, allowed to be on Nitro. I think they were a great mid-card, like, lower mid-card tag team. Yeah. You know, somebody that guys beat on their way up would have been fine. Yeah, and and I'm just saying that, like, Bob, just as Bobby Eaton he's not going to be up at that level even right like he 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 like he looks like a jobber and he's going to be a jobber right yeah i don't i just don't see how like you were saying he looks like he's from a different era and i don't know how they're going to possibly reinvent him or even give him enough attention to reinvent him and in classic weird wcw booking his first match now that he's turned babyface is against a babyface chris jericho right (laughs) <laughs> I they do this so much and it's yeah. just I I would love to ask Kevin Sullivan uh next Starcast Starcast 2 Electric Boogaloo I will ask him <laughs> why he loves heel versus heel and face versus face so much. Uh so as Jericho comes out we see 6 and NWO Sting who are up in the uh aisle in the arena watching under an NWO banner that was also present last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why WCW allows these vandals to come hang their signs up each week but whatever. Six was filming with his handheld camcorder, which angers Larry so much that he points out that he needs written permission to do that. Yeah, I, I liked how he me- he basically mentions that the Express were in consent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which if you if you watch more like a handful of like sports on TV, yeah. there's there's that whole Express were in consent like uh, notification. So yep. it's like, you know, it's legitimate. <laughs> if they if they if wrestling is a sport, then he definitely is doing something that's against. That express room consent. Uh, I think I've talked about it on the show. I I handled that very camcorder at Starcast. Um, oh, Neil, yeah. Neil Pruitt brought it with him. Oh, and, uh, okay. He had it out on their table for their for Guy Evans's book. Oh, I I I guess I missed that. <laughs> Before the match can start, we head to commercial. We come back and the bell rings, and here to call all the action is our own bogus NWO, Dave Amantorp. All right. I I also mentioned that that was pretty much as fast to a first commercial break as we've seen so far. Yeah, it must be that they're planning on cramming some stuff in or something. That's yeah. an interesting placement. Yeah, and I and also like there's more than one instance in which they refer to him as the NWO bogus thing. Yes. Like there's a there's enough definers there that's like it's definitely not sting and not only is it the NW sting, it's yeah. a fake sting. And I I don't think I put a note exactly when it happens, but uh Larry also dubs him Stink. Yes. Which is not a clever nickname, but it does go along with an, the New World Odor. So at least yeah. he's like working thematically. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to kind of see where else he can go with that. And it also goes well with the fact that he's not a good wrestler either. Sure. Yes. That being Stink. Yeah. He's the stinky <laughs> version of Sting. It works. Right. I like it. I don't mind it at all. He's a stinky version. The match starts with quick counters between the two men, culminating in Jericho hitting a drop kick after floating out of an atomic drop. There's some awkward series of moves after that before Bobby Eaton barely executes a, a spinning slam. I also want to note that there's a sign in the crowd that says, the NWO beat me up, which I just yeah. thought was really funny for some yeah, reason. Yeah, it was, and he's that guy's having a 
great time. Yeah, because he... I, kept, I saw him a few times throughout the show. Yeah, and there's he has a few more signs. I didn't write any of the other ones down, but... I um, didn't either. Um, I also like the fact that it's, like, it's in Minnesota, and it's a really, like, riled-up, active crowd. Yeah, I have that a couple times in my notes. The crowd's super hot. Mm-hmm. They're very loud. They make it feel... It's only 4,000 people. It's, the building probably only holds five. Yeah. Maybe even 4,500. They make it sound like a huge crowd. There's one camera angle that shows that the non-hard cam side has a lot of empty seats. And oh, you would okay. not know that from listening. Like they, So the people that are there mm-hmm. are really doing a great job of just being an electric crowd. And, uh, you know, not to get too inside baseball for just Minnesota references, but, like, Mankato is not a place that's going to get a ton of stuff, like a, especially a TV show right. airing live. Uh, so that's this is probably something that's, you know, these people are, these Southern Minnesota folks are probably really grateful to have something like Nitro being there. Yeah, and it's... um. I think it's one of the earlier um, instances in which we've had kind of a smart crowd mm. um, because they, they're they pretty quickly uh, cheering for NWO. Yeah. And, and later on, they're, they're cheering more like the guys based on their talent. Yeah, they cheer. I remember Malenko gets a chant, which is – I don't remember that ever. Before, <laughs> right. So, that was yeah. the other example yeah, I was thinking you're of. Right. Um, so Tony mentions that uh, Six is on the concourse to scout the competition – which I think tonight will count as the hype for the pay-per-view match, which occurs in six nights' time. That being Six versus Chris Jericho, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Six is out scouting Jericho, and uh, we'll we'll get there, of course, but Jericho has a post-match promo directed at Six specifically. Yep. Uh, the two exchange hammerlocks, which, which gives us the classic Jericho shouting, ask him to the referee. <laughs> he then nails a spin wheel kick, and that sets Eaton up on the apron to eat a Chris Jericho springboard dropkick. So we're getting a little bit of a vintage Jericho tonight. I wish that uh, Eaton had submitted to a hammerlock in the opening 30 seconds of the match. <laughs> right. Just once. Or someone like submitted because he asked him to. Yeah, ask him. And the ref was like, well, and the guy was like, yeah, I do give up. Yeah, yeah. G- good point. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, but now that you ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, Eaton earns passage back into the ring by hitting G- Jericho with a guillotine, then slaps on an arm bar to slow things down. At this point is when I mentioned that the fans are pretty fired up as there's a lot of pro-NWO chants going on. Yeah, Much to the, the uh, consternation of uh, Zabisco, who likes to blame youths for yes. doing that sort of thing. Speaking of Larry, it's somewhere in the early part of this match. I don't know exactly where, but he says he's talking about joy for some reason. Uh, or Tony says something about joy. And Larry says, joy is having your ex-wife drive off a cliff. <laughs> and that is where I noted that Larry was married to Kathleen Gagne, Vern Gagne's daughter, in mm. 1988, and they remain married to this day. So Larry does not mm. speak from experience. He just generally does not like women. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just as a general rule. Cool. <laughs> Very nice. He's like, he goes home and he says, Kathleen, I love you, but if you ever leave me, I hope you drive off a cliff. <laughs> He's been saying that every night for the last, like, 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> Um, back to the match, we return to even ground where both men hit haymakers at the same time. And the subsequent fallout has both men fighting on the floor. By the way, if you've ever wondered why it's called a haymaker, it's for pretty much the reason you'd expect. The wide sweeping swing of the punch is similar to how a farmer would toss hay with a pitchfork. Interesting. I have a very long story that I won't tell here about a guy. Here's the short version. 
a friend of a friend who I met a couple times. Mm-hmm. He's one of these um, liars, like a compulsive liar. Oh, okay. And he told he used to tell the story about being at a party where some guys were being like disrespectful to his girlfriend or something. Mm-hmm. So he punched like all three of them out by himself while yelling haymaker every time he threw a big punch. <laughs> yeah. Before we realized what a liar this guy was, we were like, what a funny, cool story. Just because of the haymaker part. Like, some guy being like, oh, I beat these three guys up. Like, fuck that. Yeah. But just the idea of a guy screaming, haymaker! <laughs> right. That was very funny. <laughs> Eventually, we figured out that that guy was just full of sh- absolute shit, though. <laughs> oh, so that was like an early story before you realized. Yeah. Like, if he totally... It was like one of those things that in retrospect, you were like, oh, he was lying. <laughs> right. That's why that story was so crazy. He's a liar. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's it. Back in the ring, Jericho hit some uh, pretty sweet chops, but an Irish whip to the corner is countered by an Eaton swinging neckbreaker. <clears throat> Ian hits a, a fly knee drop from the top, but Jericho kicks out. And now... The fly knee drop is not his finisher. It's actually a flying leg drop from the top rope. Is that right? I think so. Because I, th- I was, I knew it was a flying something, yeah. and I was wondering if they were going to mention that's no longer like the the Tower of Eaton or Tower of London. Oh right, or, right. Um, but no, they didn't mention it being his finisher. And so, and I, honestly, I just didn't look up what his actual finisher was. Yeah, it was a diving leg drop uh, called the when he's in his Bobby Eaton persona called the Alabama Jam. The Alabama, okay. Yeah, so when when he was going up to the top, I was wondering if that was going to be like their opportunity to mention like the moves called this now. But right. then he just went for something else. Yeah, and then Jericho kicks out. So what did he expect? <laughs> that wasn't your finisher, Earl or Bobby. Larry uh, takes a moment to talk about. He likes to talk a lot about the lack of leadership on behalf of WCW. Mm-hmm. Uh, he claims that no country in the world right now can find a good leader, uh, and WCW has the same problem. Now, in context, if you were back in October of 1996, you would realize he's throwing shade at uh, Bill Clinton, Bob Dole, and Ross Perot because this was like two weeks before the election. Oh, okay. So he's like, nobody can find good leaders these days. Yeah. So he's he's doing a little subtle complaining about the uh, the choices back in 96. Well, as we return back to the uh, the action in the ring, like I said, the fine knee drop was uh, Jericho kicked out. The Lionheart eventually hits a crescent kick and then a missile drop kick from the top rope for the pinfall victory. Um, so this was a, pr- I, I think it was about like a six minute match. Yeah. Uh, pretty, pretty nondescript. And there was a lot of cutting to uh, what six and then W.O. Sting was doing. Yeah. So I think the only, the important thing was that Jericho has a little bit of momentum going into Slim Jim's Halloween. Havoc. Yeah, they do. Make, it does become clear though, that uh, Eaton can go like, like I said, mm-hmm. he does not look like a guy who's going to be a wrestling star in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't have the body. He's still got the mullet. He's very pale. But that he's a solid hand, and and he brings out a good match. There's a few awkward moments from Jericho kind of early on where he looks green, and I was like, oh, I think Eaton might be the one kind of carrying this guy, even though, of course, history looks back on Bobby Eaton and Chris Jericho very differently. Yeah. But I think here... There's just one moment I remember that really stood out as awkward where Jericho wants to run the ropes and he's really far away from the ropes behind him. But instead of like turning and running, he backs up and he, he backs up like 12 steps. And it's just really he's just like freewheeling back into the ropes and then bouncing forward. And it's just like what an awkward, weird way to run the ropes. Yeah. Uh, something else I was going to mention, too, just for a note. This was a match in which I really noticed that both men were um, calling calling moves during the match. Oh, really? I didn't too. notice that. Yeah, so I don't know if that was maybe 
because I don't recall these two really wrestling each other before. So yeah, me neither. Maybe it was something where it's like they just didn't have a natural chemistry. Yeah, I mean Jericho's barely been there a month at this point, so mm-hmm. it's very unlikely that they'd have faced each other. By the way, like that double haymaker knockout, like yeah. I would never expect it from Chris Jericho versus Bobby Eaton. <laughs> yeah, that's why I really like made a note of. I was like, well, that was unexpected. <laughs> Six is shown in the crowd giving an unimpressed so-so, like the flat hand waving uh-huh. back and forth. I'm like, eh, that was nice. whatever. <laughs> and a little bit of a crotch chop. Eaton raises Jericho's hand because it was face versus face, and we get some replays. Then Tony Schiavone is uh, joined by Chris Jericho at ringside. All right, Larry, thanks a lot. Chris, take a breather here, if you will, because you really earned that one. Earned it in the spike that the NWO watching along. He had the video camera. Six up there, there he is still there right now with the bogus sting. They always come out, they always make a show, but I think they got a good eye full of what you're about tonight. You know what, Tony? It's a coincidence that Six is watching because it's only six days until Halloween Havoc. NWO, never beaten, never tied, never given a run for their money. Six in Las Vegas, you're coming out with a loss. I'm coming out with a victory. And NWO, first rung of the ladder is climbed. WNWO, WCW, we'll see who the better man is. Are you ready, Six? Because I am. You've got to admire this young man's character. Chris Jericho ready for Six at Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. Like he said, in only six days. And we'll have more WCW Monday Night Show live from Minnesota after this timeout. Jericho promises to hand the NWO their first loss when he beats Six in six days. He tells the NWO that the first rung of the ladder has been climbed and warns the WNWCW that they'll see who the better man is. He's not quite confident on the mic just yet. Right. Uh, I mean, besides just being very generic, he's stumbling and saying some weird stuff. He just doesn't have a handle on exactly what to do with this, like, white meat baby face that they've given him. Um, but yeah, it, it's not terrible, but I mean, you all just heard the audio clip. It's, it's clear that he's got a long way to become the Chris Jericho we know and love. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like the potential there. He's not completely lost in like yeah. what to say. It's just that it seemed like his thoughts are kind of like, uh, getting a little bit ahead of him. Yeah. Um, but then he, I liked that at the end he knew like, I should just go pump up the crowd and just do something. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I don't know how to end this one. By the way, how amazing is it that we're here 22 something years later and Chris Jericho on the show is currently big in wrestling news, what with the All Elite Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Jarrett is big in current wrestling news. He's right. on this Nitro. Uh, they're building towards a uh, pay-per-view at the MGM Grand, which is the site of Double or Nothing. There's oh, just like a lot of like, yeah, yeah, there's just a lot of like little connections to current day wrestling that I yeah. thought were kind of interesting. We take a commercial break and return for a video package highlighting the cruiserweight champion, Rey Mysterio Jr. We get about a minute of cool Rey highlights set to cheesy 90s music, 90s music, and some very 90s video effects. Just like yes. they'll yeah. do something where like the whole thing's in black and white, except there's like a neon blue rectangle around him and everything inside the rectangles in color. Mm-hmm. It's just super 90s. I loved it. And yeah. it also reminded me the last time that we got one of these was when... Uh, it was interrupted by Hall and Nash in the control booth. Oh, that was sure. the last time they were like, here's a Mysterio video package. And I was like, I was waiting for something like that to happen again. But mm-hmm. no, this was just a minute of his cool highlights. And also, I, I always am reminded of there was like that highlight package right bef- at the beginning of Bash at the Beach. Yeah. 
that I liked because it it was like really good at showing like all the the right. events that led up to that point. Yeah. But also just as generic music. Like there's no they have no levels for like yeah. how intense it should be. It's like it's the same thing that you'll like hear on Baywatch or something like it really that. It really it's funny that all the stuff that they have to dub over on the network because of copyright issues, you almost can't tell the difference because like the music they did use was so generic. <laughs> That like yeah. the music that's forced in by WWE is also just generic, and there's really right. <laughs> other than the stuff where it's like they're ripping off Nirvana or they're ripping off Pearl Jam. You know mm-hmm. that stuff is is a little more distinct. But speaking of the '90s, out comes next the debut of an extremely '90s gimmick, a man known as Jimmy Graffiti. Yeah, he's got on cutoff baggy jean shorts, a black shirt with graffiti on it. Uh, both in terms of like little drawings of bones and shit. Yeah. And also the word graffiti. <laughs> right. He's wearing a backwards Kangol or like bike, bike messenger hat. Uh, I think people will know what I'm talking about. With neon nine squigglies all over it. His figures have paint on them all over, you see, because he's a no good youth who loves graffiti so much. <laughs> Which is funny because he doesn't look like a youth. He looks like 45 years old. <laughs> and he <laughs> just. He looks like he's like an American ripoff of Super Kolo. He does. He's very dressed very similar to Super Kolo. He's making his debut, and he hasn't done anything but walk to the ring, but he's getting a lot of thumbs down from fans on camera. <laughs> Out comes his opponent, the number one contender to Mysterio's title, the Iceman, Dean Malenko, who's st- still carrying around one of Rey Mysterio's masks. Uh, before I throw it to Dave, we'll call the action. Let me introduce you all to Jimmy Graffiti, whose real name is David Ferrier. He is 34 years old. He looks easily 15 years older than that. Right. And he hails from Grove City, Pennsylvania, and he was trained by the Mighty Yankee and made his debut in 1985. He spent much of the late 1980s in championship wrestling from Florida under a few different names, then joined Smoky Mountain Wrestling, where he replaced Stan Lane as the teammate of Tom Pritchard in the Heavenly Bodies. He was named Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey, and managed by Jim Cornette, they were three-time Smoky Mountain Tag Team Champions. In 1993, they, along with Cornette, began appearing in the WWF. They had decent mid-card tag success, appearing on a few pay-per-views, including winning the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Titles at SummerSlam 1993. Released by the WWF in 1995, Del Rey and Lane appeared a few times for ECW as members of Raven's Nest. (laughs) Uh, that's what brought them here to WCW, or what brought him here, I should say. Now, to a... <laughs> yeah. The Heavenly Bodies were part of Raven's Nest? Uh, I mean, I th- probably under different gimmicks, I hope. Oh, okay. I, I'm not. I don't know. I'm not familiar enough with ECW, but... <laughs> that just seems like a very, like, as a wrestling fan, yeah. it's like... There's always those moments where it's like, it's hard to explain yeah. how we got to this point. But yeah. as a wrestling fan, it probably made sense. Yes. <laughs> now, to address a very ugly story, Del Rey's release from the WWF in 1995 was tied to allegations, apparently including a lawsuit that was settled out of court, that he drugged and sexually assaulted a female fan who was a frequent backstage visitor at WWF shows. I didn't spend a ton of time researching the specifics because, like, I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about rape on our podcast. Right. Um, and uh, I ju- we're just we're a wrestling review podcast. We're not set up. But I just didn't want to let that go unmentioned that this very serious allegation had like just been made against him. Uh, it's something that the British Bulldog got wrapped up in. But apparently the reports were that Bulldog was just in the wrong place, the wrong time, didn't really know what was going on. He was eventually totally cleared. Sure. Allegedly. Allegedly. You know, uh, it's all legend. I mean, it's also possible that he's a much bigger name than yep. Jimmy Del Rey, yep. so someone had to bite the bullet on that one. 
but as with Chris Benoit, I do want to be clear that we are discussing him as a character on a TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I say that he was good or he did something well, like I still think he fucking <laughs> sucks as a human being and he's trash. So just I just <laughs> just because he does a good move doesn't mean I am in full support of yeah. whatever he might or might not have done. Just like there's you know with <laughs> canceled culture and all that, it's just want to be clear up front. Right, he is a bad person, and I do not like. Uh, Daniel Ferrier or whatever it was. All right. All right. So here to call all the action. Oh, wait. (laughs) I want to mention this because it comes before the match starts. Dean puts Mysterio's mask on the turnbuckle. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tony says something about the the heritage of the masks. And Larry says, yeah, well, to America and all of civilization, it's very silly. But in Mexico, it's very important. (laughs) (laughs) He has now written Mexico out of civilization. Wow. Yeah, that fucker. (laughs) Anyway, here to call all the action is our own fucker, (laughs) Dave Amendorf. Yeah, my my note about Jimmy Graffiti was uh, that he was best known as Jimmy Del Rey. Yep. A.K.A. the other guy in the Heavy and the Bodies tag team. Sure. And despite that... This new gimmick is definitely a downgrade from being the other guy in the Heavenly Bodies. Yeah. The thing about Jimmy Del Rey as a wrestler, he I think he was really underrated. I think the Heavenly Bodies were good, and I think he was really good. Just never quite fit in with what... De- I think if the Heavenly Bodies had been in WCW for those years, they probably would have been uh, thought of differently, or just remembered more. Mm-hmm. Not that they're remembered poorly, I just don't think most people remember them. But I think they would have kind of had a much longer career had they been more on the on the uh, WCW side of things. Uh oh, I was I was just going to say that the Heavenly Bodies, they're just like one of those teams that like I probably really haven't watched like a substantial amount of their matches in like 20 yeah. some years. Right. And they just don't really pop up. So I do, I don't really remember if they were good or not. I'll I'll take your word for it, but I just don't recall how good they were. Especially if, just because you're in Smoky Mountain Wrestling or when we're winning titles because they handed their titles out back in the day like they were candy, so it didn't necessarily mean you were the most talented team there. Anyway, the match opens up with an extensive exchange of hammer locks and wrist locks, out of which both men show their athleticism by kipping out of. We get a shove by Jimmy Graffiti, and that is countered by Dean flipping backward back onto his feet, and the two men reach a stalemate. By the way, when I was trying to find I was trying to find a photo of Jimmy Graffiti. But when I looked that up, I just got graffiti of the word Jimmy, <laughs> which I was like, right. I probably should have expected that. Yeah, I don't think too many people are Googling old Jimmy graffiti. <laughs> right. Um, uh, graffiti did hit a nice uh, float over DDT, which is like I, the term that I could find to use as far as like the, the, the move that The Rock used to do a lot where he would spin around the guy in order to hit the DDT. Uh, Jimmy graffiti did that, and it was really nice. And then he also hit a sit-down powerbomb, both of which got um, him a two-count only. Malenko eventually gains the advantage and dumps Jimmy Graffiti onto the floor. And at this point, I noticed there's like a random woman that's sitting next to Tony and Larry with a headset on, but hasn't said anything the entire show. She's there a lot. I forget her name. She's a producer. Shivani talks about her on his podcast a little bit. She's, yeah, she's, if you look, she's there a lot. They just mostly keep her out of shots a little better than they did. Here. Okay. Because my guess was that she was like a technical assistant or something like that. So yeah. that's what she was? She's just a producer. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I just, I think that's the first time I've noticed that she was there. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. There's like a third person there the whole time. Yeah. It might be Linda. I, I'll, I'll try to see if I can remember or find it. Okay. And as a return. <clears throat> 
As we return to the ring, Malenko applies a reverse chin lock to slow the pace down. During this time, we see the NWO Bogus Sting recording the match from the concourse. I feel like Tony did a pretty good job of just maybe suggesting, like, wait, is he doing this uh, reconnaissance for Rey Mysterio sort of thing? And which kind of suggests, like, we don't know the status of Rey Mysterio, which I thought was just kind of a, a nice little twist to add to. Yeah. Um, a very uninteresting, like, shot of the NWO Sting, like, recording something from the concourse. Right. Meanwhile, Malenko hits a side suplex for a two-count. Dean appears fed up with the persistence of one Jimmy Graffiti and starts putting the boots to him. However, Jimmy Graffiti rallies and both men exchange fists and elbows in the corner. With Graffiti on the ropes, Malenko hits a cross-body block which sends both men over the top rope and to the floor, with Jimmy getting the worst of it as he basically his noggin bounces off the ring apron. Yeah, it does not look great. Back in the ring, a Jimmy Graffiti missile dropkick is blocked by Dean Malenko, who quickly puts on the Texas Cloverleaf for the submission victory. Uh, during the replays, I like the fact that Zabisco mentions that like he noticed he kind of hit his head on the apron yeah. and suggested that kind of put him out of his game, and that was maybe why he lost. And I thought it was just a nice way to kind of add to that um, yeah. as far as the, telling that story. But, uh, yeah, this was another, I mean, just more like a highlight match for a guy that's a poor match at some Jim's Halloween Havoc. Um, not, I, I don't, I don't know if graffiti was supposed to be a heel or a face. He or, was a heel. He was a heel. Okay. He was making some mugging at the audience as he came but out. But wait, wasn't, isn't Malenko supposed to be heel yep. too? Oh, yep. Okay. So couldn't Chris Jericho have sense. faced Jimmy graffiti and <laughs> right. Dean Malenko have faced Bobby Eaton? You'd think. Right. <laughs> that's certainly what I was wondering. It's just like you imagine Kevin Sullivan backstage, like trying to do like the square peg in the round hole thing. <laughs> it's like, don't worry, it's gonna work. Uh, yeah, I thought a lot like I did with the first match. I thought that uh, Graffiti was like good for what he was doing. He was good at just like being the guy who gets a little bit of offense, but mainly lets the other guy shine. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate his gimmick, and and similar to Bobby Eaton, he seems like. That's like 1993 WCW. We're doing a whole different thing here now, bud. Yeah. So we'll see. I'm curious to how many more appearances he's going to have on our podcast. Dean celebrates his win and shouts at Mysterio through the video scope. Replays and commercials roll with the promise of DDP versus Craig Pittman on the other side. In a promo for Saturday night, we're promised Malenko, Jarrett, Benoit, Ron Studd, the Faces of Fear, Eddie Guerrero, and another NWO Saturday night segment. These NWO segments on Saturday night that we've been mentioning now are on the network, by the way, because uh, Saturday night is not on the network. But these are, if you go to the collection section and find NWO for Life, uh, which is one of their collections, mm-hmm. there's one of the entries you can choose is NWO Saturday Night, which compiles several of them together. Oh, okay. So if you want to get a flavor of what it is that we're missing by not seeing those on Saturday night, you can check them out for yourself on the WWE Network. Oh, nice. As Diamond Dallas Page makes his way to the ring, Tony and Larry worry about the momentum heading in worry about the momentum heading into Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc as it firmly favors the NWO. In a nice moment, the production goes to a split screen so that they can show the many replays of Diamond Dallas Page hitting the diamond cutter as Shivani puts it over and says that DDP has one of the that DDP with that one move can beat anyone. Larry also puts it Larry also puts the move and Page over and says the dangerous thing is that Paige is learning a thousand ways to apply the maneuver. 
Out next is Sergeant Craig Pittman, who for some baffling reason gets pyro. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was really weird. <laughs> the loud explosion of the pyro causes Tony to say, wow, he practically got a 21-gun salute. And Larry brilliantly replies, oh, too bad they missed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that cracked me up. Mm-hmm. He is accompanied by Teddy Long, and Nick Patrick, of course, is refing this one. Can, uh, right. It's weird that like the the Nick Patrick being a heel ref who favors the NWO has mostly become him having a feud with Teddy Long. Yeah, <laughs> like that's mostly how that plays out these days. <laughs> I don't uh, like Pittman's odds. I got to tell you in this one. No, I don't either. Sure enough, Patrick and Long have words with each other before the match even begins. After the bell ring, Pittman and DDP eye each other as Long. On the apron, even after the bell, argues with Patrick some more. Patrick, <laughs> this is the thing that gets me, is, like, Patrick hasn't done anything yet. Like, a lot of these times, Teddy Long is the one who's being the who's in the wrong, which is just confusing as an audience member, you know? That the baby face keeps looking like an asshole. Yeah, but, I mean, these other run-ins with um, with Teddy Long and, his, and whoever he's managing, it's like, this has yeah. never ended well, so he's probably like, hey, I know how this usually sure. goes. Don't do it. Again. He needs to be going to the executive committee and showing these multiple instances right. and just be like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> or at least don't assign him to my matches every week, right. every single week. Or it's like, uh, <laughs> I, I like thinking of the fact because he's like a senior referee yeah. and they can't do anything about him because he's got tenure. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Pittman goes to check on the situation with Long and uh, Patrick, and DDP attacks him from behind, shoving him into Long, who falls to the floor. Page chokes Pittman on the ropes and hits some elbows and punches. He whips Pittman off the ropes and tries a kick, but Pittman catches his foot. Pittman spins Page around, but Page sticks an arm out and turns this into a discus lariat. Kind of a cool little reversal. I liked it. Page continues to pick Pittman apart before hitting a pile driver for two. Pittman kicks out by throwing Page up and off, but Page lands on Patrick, who sells his lower back. Pittman and Page head to the outside, where the former drill sergeant rams the former club owner's shoulder into the ring post. <laughs> well, nicer that way. He lays in some strikes to the shoulder, then wraps it around the bottom rope and wrenches it, all in service of setting him up for the Code Red cross armbreaker. He brings Page back into the ring and applies the Code Red, but Long moronically gets on the apron for no reason. <laughs> distracting Patrick from his own man winning the fucking match. He's like, I hope he's up like, now make sure you don't get distracted because he's doing the finisher now. Paige is cl clearly giving up, but Patrick, of course, can't see it or just doesn't see it, I guess. By the time Patrick turns around, Paige has managed to get his legs in the rope. Uh, Patrick breaks it up. DDP hits the cutter for the victory. And Larry has to wonder if Teddy Long is with the NWO. <laughs> Which is, like, getting fair to wonder about at this point. <laughs> DDP gives himself a self-high five and yells at Eddie Guerrero through the camera. So I assume they're having a match. It certainly wasn't something that was... Oh, yeah, they talked about it a little bit. A little bit, uh, yeah. Because I remember Larry saying at one point during the match, he says, DDP's running through these Guerreros. He's ran through four or five of them so far. <laughs> right. And Eddie's just one that's left. <laughs> Which is, like, he's beaten Chavo. He's beaten one Guerrero. <laughs> right. <laughs> Teddy Long argues with Nick Patrick, and Larry throws it to Tony, who is now ringside, along with uh, Nick Patrick, still, in, of course, in his uh, medical neck brace. Yes. Patrick says that he didn't hear Paige give up, and he correctly points out that if Long hadn't just... 
and he correctly points out that if Long had just stayed in his corner, he would have been in position to do his job. Like last week, Tony accuses Patrick of being the masked NWO ref on NWO Saturday night. Patrick denies it and says that it looks like Randy Anderson, and again warns Shivani that the last guy who accused him, referring to me and Gene, is now gone. Tony is nonplussed as ever, and we go to break. <laughs> the last guy I messed with him is now doing contract negotiations, so Tony's like, maybe I should do yeah, that too. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> I know how much that guy makes. It's a lot. By the way, the whole what Nick Patrick saying that he didn't hear him submit. Yeah, I, I was wondering, like, if you're a referee, can you call the match if you just hear him, but you're not also seeing them? Like, if your back's turned. I mean, it's pro wrestling, so situationally, sure, why not? Okay, do it <laughs> sometimes, enough. not at other times. Who cares? Fair, fair <laughs> enough. I, I should have known the answer to that question. Upon return, Tony shows us replays of two weeks ago when the NWO attacked and injured the Nature Boy Ric Flair backstage. Then we see clips from the promo that Jeff Jarrett had given earlier that same show. Ah. Out comes Ron Studd as the announcers talk about Flair being out and whether or not Jeff Jarrett is capable of being the leader that WCW needs. Uh, so you remember the basic idea here is that Flair was going to face the Giant, mm -hmm. uh, but instead the NWO uh, injured him. It's, it's cover for Flair who needs surgery on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. uh, so Jeff Jarrett uh, has come, like his gimmick is sort of that the NWO doesn't respect the old time wrestling yeah. like Ric Flair and the Jarrett families do. So he's he wants to stand up and take Flair's spot. So that's kind of what's brought us to this point. A little refresher for those of you out there. And, and it seemed like everyone was pretty willing to go with, uh, yeah, yeah, Jeff Jarrett will face the Giant instead. Yeah, that low mid-card guy from the WWF. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> right. It just it seemed like that, that was approved without like anyone really like asking the Giant if he wanted to <laughs> Sure, yeah, yeah. Out comes Jeff Jarrett in his dickhead gear doing his dickhead poses and flexing, <laughs> and somehow he's a babyface and getting a few cheers from the crowd. He's getting a mixed reaction, but there are cheers in there. As Jarrett struts in the ring, out comes Ric Flair in street clothes. Tony and Leary are confused why Flair is out, but they shouldn't be since we just watched video replays that explain how this all ties together. Right. <laughs> Stud is kind enough to just leave the ring. So he, that he fucks <laughs> off pretty quickly. So that Flair can make Jarrett strut again. The reaction from the crowd this time is much more mixed. Flair has Randy Anderson help him out of his sport coat, and then he struts and woos to universal cheers from the crowd. I, I, I like that part where um, Flair indicates for Randy Anderson to take his coat off yeah. without saying anything or even looking at him, but he just waits for him to like do it. Right. <laughs> and Randy Anderson's like, yeah, yeah okay, fair enough. <laughs> Tony is searching for any reason why Flair is out here, and he points out that these two have never wrestled before, and he is correct. I, I looked that up. The crowd chants Nature Boy, and when Jarrett struts again, this time he's roundly booed. Flair takes another go for a big pop as he really puts some stink on his yes. uh, strutting this yep. time. They go face-to-face, -face and Larry wonders if they're going to compare nose sizes. Instead, Flair shakes Jarrett's hand and leaves the ring as Big Ron Stud returns to it. Here to call all the action of Jeff Jarrett and Big Ron Stud is our own Big Surge Stud. Because <laughs> he's drinking a can of Surge. It's a visual joke for yes. a podcast. Anyway, those, it's are, the, it's those are the best jokes. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dave. Uh, by the way, I wanted to mention earlier, cause, and you, you pointed out for that Saturday Night promo, they mentioned Ron Stud as one of the many wrestlers that you'll see. Yeah. But also, he's the unmentioned part of Jeff Jarrett being in action tonight. So it's very weird as far as, like, how they're, like, um, advertising Ron Studd. Is yeah. he a significant or is he an enhancement? Right. 
Also, I believe Jarrett is the third different wrestler to face Ron Sud on Nitro as a warm-up to facing the Giant on a pay-per-view. I was going to point that out. Yeah, they're definitely Ron Studd is just the guy who a regular-sized person proves they can beat in order to face the Giant. Like It's like the Giant like the Giant's like the level 10 Giant, but they have to face like the level 1 yeah, Giant first, yes, which is yes. Ron Studd. They need a level 5 Giant to like help you jump in there. Yeah, maybe um maybe Maybe that roadblock guy that we see later. <laughs> oh, God. Um, the other two, by the way, were Chris Benoit and Randy Savage, just for yep. notes. Yep, that's right. Um, and my guess is a third time won't be a charm either for Ron Studd. Um, I did write, uh, as far as the strut-off between Ric Flair and Jarrett, the highlight of it, to me, was how like exuberant Flair appeared the whole time. Like He was really into the idea of strutting off. Yeah. Anyway, after about a minute of nonsense... Jeff Jarrett hits Stud with a very legitimate suplex. Yeah. Before gaining the submission victory with a figure four. Yeah. I have one sentence for that. That's and fine. And that is all yeah. it deserves. Yeah. He blocks. He blocks Stud going for a vertical suplex by grabbing the rope. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a babyface, so he doesn't point at his brain, I guess. Right. Uh, but yeah, then he hits a, a pretty nice suplex. Um, not only good by Jarrett, but good on Stud. He goes up and over. It seems like he because the bulk of that work is on Stud. Yeah, and he does a good job controlling his massive size. Yeah, and there's there's definitely like ways in which guys can make it look like they're suplexing a, a larger yeah. guy without taking over the weight. Right. And Jarrett looks like that he's taking over the weight, which also Jarrett is like pretty jacked at this point. Yeah, that's true. Which yep. I I think is probably because it's we're still like in like the steroid laden era. Allegedly. Um, allegedly. <laughs> Um, the other thing I was going to mention about Jeff Jarrett because um, we were meant that we're recording in February 2019. Um, tomorrow on Monday Night Raw, Jeff Jarrett is wrestling against Elias. Yeah. Elias was not even born when Jeff Jarrett made his wrestling debut. Wow. Which is crazy to think yeah. because Elias looks like he was born at the age of 35. <laughs> Jeff, come on in here. I tell you, you really. Yeah, come on, strut on through here. Jeff Jarrett, I know you realize the importance of your first big matchup in WCW coming up against the Giant. We're inside a week, six days and counting. The big bad Giant, oh yeah. Well, it's time for Jeff Jarrett to put up or shut up. It's time for WCW to start playing some offense instead of all defense. It's time for everyone who's ever watched Ric Flair, who respects Flair, who respects WCW, to start being the hunters instead of the hunted. And Halloween Havoc, he's taking Hall and Nash out. Savage is taking Hollywood out. And Giant, I got a big bullseye right on your leg. That's right, I'm telling you. I'm putting a figure four on you. And you may be thinking, you're gonna choke slam me? You've choke slammed them all, but you had choke slammed Jeff Jarrett, and I guarantee you, you won't do it in Havoc. How about it, Nature Boy? Rick Flair, it's good to see you out here. We gotta have it silent here for a minute, because I want the NWO to hear every word comes out of my mouth tonight. Last week, I sat home and I saw a man stand up and talk good about Ric Flair. That don't happen in life. In our sports, we don't cry. We don't ask for forgiveness. We just keep on keeping on. 
Now, you know what? Sometimes we get so good at what we do in life that we take everything for granted. So the NWO, I'm going to tip my hat off to you. You outsmarted the horsemen, you outflanked us, and worst of all, you played the game dirtier. And thus far, you've won. But starting Sunday night, when I get off that operating table and go to Las Vegas to stand in Jeff Jarrett's corner, everybody in the NWO, remember, for every ounce of blood, for every stitch I take, the day I can get back in that ring, along with a man like Jeff Jarrett and the horsemen, we will kick the NWO's in Vegas, side by side, all night long. Oh, yes. Back with more live on Nitro. How about this after this timeout? After replays, Tony Schiavone's back at ringside to interview Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett says that we're six days and counting until it's time for him to put up or shut up against the big bad giant. He wants WCW to start playing offense instead of defense, and the people who respect WCW and guys like Flair need to become the hunters instead of the hunted. He says that the Harlem Heat is going to take out Hall and Nash, Randy Savage will take out Hogan, and he's got a bullseye on the Giant's leg because he's going to get the big man in the figure four. He guarantees the Giant won't chokeslam him at Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. Decent promo. Yeah. I continue to like Jeff Jarrett, which is much to my surprise. I think he works better as a heel. I mean, he's a natural heel. Yeah. But, like, I trust that we'll get there. Mm -hmm. I don't mind that he's come in as a baby face just because of the the way the NWO stuff messes with alignment. Yeah. Um, So that's fine. And I I don't really remember how this plays out, but since he's debuted, and this could just be something I'm creating in my head, but he feels like someone that's playing the role of being, like, the nice guy while it's, like, convenient. Like, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop, even if it's, like, it takes a few months before it's, like, by the way, I'm an asshole. That's where we get back to because yeah. that's who I am. Rick Flair reappears. He shakes Jarrett's hand a second time and says last week he watched Nitro from home and he saw someone say nice things about Rick Flair, which doesn't happen too often. Flair says that in wrestling, you don't cry or ask for forgiveness. You just keep on keeping on. And sometimes you get so good that you take things for granted. He tips his hat to the NWO for using that complacency to outsmart the horsemen, outflank them, and play the game even dirtier. As we see the giant looking on from the crowd, Flair promises that he will be in Jarrett's corner this Sunday, and that he, Jarrett, and the four horsemen will kick the NWO's ass. Again, I don't love Jarrett, but I appreciate that WCW is working really hard to make him a thing, mm-hmm. uh, and getting wins and in like impressive standout moments like that suplex and an endorsement from Ric Flair, like they're really working to make to make Jeff Jarrett a big deal. Yeah. Um, and certainly WCW and I guess, of course, TNA is where he certainly was the biggest deal. So you can mm-hmm. see that really starting early uh, in his tenure there, which is interesting, I guess, not to spend too much time on it. But it's always kind of thought of that he was made into a big deal because Russo really liked him. But this is long before Russo has anything to do with WCW. Yeah. He well, kept, he was uh, I think that he was a legitimate like upper mid card guy like most of his career. It's like yeah. Russo was the one that brought him as like. A world elevate into a world champion, right? And I, I always, I always thought that like that he did 
I thought that he did a really um a good job for like it could he could have easily just been like Jerry Jarrett's son. Yes. For his entire career, but I think that he more people remember Jeff Jarrett way before they remember Jerry Jarrett. And I think that I don't think it would be easy to kind of like carve that sort of career for yourself. Yeah. Um and like he is also the wrestler of like like a 9,000 lives. Yes. He that's, he I'm, always he's always coming back no matter what happens. Yeah. He finds a way to like to be like in a new company or yeah. like with a new role. Like he's on Raw in 2019. That's crazy. After so long away, after all the bad blood that happened after the way he left um, with the whole hold up for the belt before losing to China thing, it's pretty incredible that he's back. Yeah, and and he like made so much money off of just a name global force wrestling yeah that wasn't a thing <laughs> yes yeah it's some taped episodes of a show that no one will ever see <laughs> right and a weird pyramid scheme to sell gold right <laughs> that's about it we come back from commercial with 10 seconds left in the countdown to hour two tony hypes us up as the countdown gets to zero and pyro and ballyhoo commence eric bischoff welcomes us to the second hour of the show where he's joined by bobby heenan and mike Tanay. The crowd chants Weasel as the announcers react to Flair having surgery and the plans that he has post-recovery for the NWO. Then they pivot to discussing Randy Savage, who Eric says has not been seen in the building yet this evening. Eric then sends us to the ring, where Dave Penzer introduces us to Roadblock. Out comes a very big, very ugly guy <laughs> with a sawhorse-style roadblock sign stretched over his shoulders, mm -hmm. like he literally has a roadblock. His singlet is red and white horizontal stripes with pants that are black with yellow stripes, also making him look like a roadblock. <laughs> right. It's all very literal. <laughs> the announcers actually stop talking about Savage for a minute to react to this monster, with Tanay claiming that he's 6'5 and 400 pounds, and that he's achieved success in, quote, regional promotions, and is looking to make a splash in WCW. Everything about him is like the natural disasters. Yes, very much so. And he would have been a third one. He could have been like tornado or something. <laughs> right. Um, and we were just talking earlier about guys with like dated gimmicks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I, I'm sure he's just here for an enhancement talent. But this is like, like as much as Bobby Ian looks like he's out of place. Yeah. This guy looks like he's, yes, he's in the wrong promotion for one thing. He should be in WWF. As yes. Roadblock. Yes, he should. And yeah. Vince would love this guy. He yes. lose all the time, but Vince would love him. I, I bet that like, he, this is the match he has taped from this show. Vince does. Yes. Cause yeah. he loves roadblock. <laughs> roadblock is Joseph D'Acostino. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. A 44 year old wrestler, a 44 year old wrestler from Rochester, New York. He was trained by renowned, he was trained by renowned trainer Larry Sharp at the Monster Factory. He's a massive guy, apparently a legit 6'7". Apparently, due to his size, he wanted to get into wrestling sometime in the mid-80s, and he ran into Hulk Hogan at the gym when the WWF was in Rochester for TV tapings. He tried to approach Hogan to ask how to get into the business, but Hulk blew him off, so he decided to try to impress Hulk and the WWF by going to the show that night and hitting the ring to attack one-man gang before the gang's <laughs> scheduled fight with Hogan. According to the Wrestling Observer, D'Acostino was a good high school wrestler and easily took one-man gang down and was pounding on him while Slick, <laughs> who was managing one-man gang at the time, was beating him with his cane trying to run him off and get him out of the ring. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's how he decided, like, I'm going to get into this business by doing a legit run-in in front of Hulk Hogan. Well, <laughs> One was like, 
I'm at the gym. Hogan's at the gym. I yeah. should try approaching him. Yeah. Then we get like you can't can have that that escalated quickly meme. Yeah. For this because then he's like, no, I'll attack and assault a wrestler without yeah. them knowing it <laughs> during a show and hope that Hogan is really impressed by that. It's kind of surprising that uh, Hogan blew him off because that's essentially how the giant got in. Hogan just saw him and was like. This guy's huge. Yeah. We'll put him over as a monster and then I'll beat him. That's what Hogan loves to do. I don't know. I am honestly surprised that Hogan looked at Roadblock and didn't think, yeah, we'll make him a monster and then I'll beat him. It's it's surprising, actually. Yeah. When you said the Blue Moffat, it's like he must have just been having like a terrible day and didn't want to yeah, talk to yeah. anyone because that's exactly the kind of guy that he'd be like, yes, 100% yes. Meltzer doesn't go into detail what, if any, consequences followed, like legal or otherwise. Mm -hmm. But in 1989, Doc Estino debuted in the ring. He wrestled primarily in the New England and East Coast areas, often billed as the Rochester Roadblock. He wrestled in Puerto Rico, including a championship match against Carlos Colon, and a little bit in Japan. He also appeared in Mexico as a mass gimmick, Torre Infernal, the Infernal Tower. <laughs> nice. He debuted in WCW as Roadblock two days ago on Saturday night where he defeated jobber Dale Wolf, a former doink. No, oh, okay. And issued a <laughs> challenge to Lex Luger to face him here on Nitro tonight. There's a story yeah, behind this? Yeah, there's an angle that set up this match, believe it or not. See, if they just integrated Saturday Night more into this, <laughs> I would have been like, there's no way did Roadblock go on Saturday night and be like, <laughs> I want a match on Nitro with Lex Luger. He called out Lex Luger. And he got it, too. This is the guy. Yeah. That, that shows his assertiveness always pays <laughs> off. Out comes Flexi Lexi to a warm reaction from the crowd. Bishop talks about the nice weekend they've had in the area, uh, and we see a woman in the crowd vlo and we see a woman in the crowd blow very slow sensual kisses yes. in Lex's direction. Mm -hmm. I've never seen someone blow kisses in a more dirty smutty manner <laughs> bishop puts over the hot crowd uh i think he's just he doesn't really get into it but i think he's doing a little bit of like what a nice thing it is to be back in minnesota because you know sure. he's from here yeah the bell rings and roadblock charges lex who dodges and sends the big man into the corner luger whips roadblock into the opposite corner then hits a clothesline and goes for the 10 corner punches but roadblock cuts him off at five and hits an atomic drop which luger basically no sells mm-hmm Lex instead hits a clothesline that barely phases Roadblock. He hits another that gets Roadblock against the ropes, and a third which sends the ogre up, over, and out to the floor. An angry Roadblock pulls Luger to the outside and rams his head into the ring post. Luger counters and hits Roadblock into a couple ring posts, too. We then get a pre-recorded split-skiing promo from Arn Anderson, who says that the impressive moves that Lex is hitting right now, which is timed really well because right as he says that, Lex is body-slamming the gigantic Roadblock. Yeah. Uh, he says that he won't hit those impressive moves against Arn at Halloween Havoc, and that the time is running out on Lex. Lex misses a huge elbow drop as Arn says he knows Luger. Lex misses a huge elbow drop as Arn says he knows Luger knows how to say I quit as he hurted himself at Fall Brawl. Mm -hmm. He's always coming back to that. He's not getting over that. Roadblock, and I don't think he said I quit. I think he became unconscious and the refs called it, but I guess that's neither here nor I there. I feel like they made that kind of ambiguous. Yeah, that's true. Roadblock clotheslines Luger and tries a pile driver, but it, it's not that Lex blocks it or anything. He just refuses to take it. He took one <laughs> look at Roadblock and was like, no, sir, that <laughs> right. is not happening. So instead, Roadblock has to settle for a clothesline for a two count. It's like when that match started, Luger made the executive decision like, 
I'm not going to take anything serious yeah. from this guy because I think he's going to hurt me by accident. It's like at Halloween Havoc last year when the Giant was going to uh, suplex Hogan, and you could just see Hogan be like, no, nope, <laughs> right. not happening. <laughs> or Sting, I believe, blocked Mongo from doing something like that once, where he's right. just like, no, 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 nope. you don't have control. <laughs> right. I do not feel safe. <laughs> We get a huge corner splash from Roadblock onto Lex, and then a few Irish whips that only enrage the total package, who poses and hits some punches. Lex gets a power slam and calls for the rack. He gets Roadblock up, but drops him. He calls for it again, and Roadblock again falls off Lex's shoulders. He's punishing him, covers Eric, as Luger calls for it a third time, looking a little annoyed and kind of sheepish. But the third time is a charm, and Lex gets Roadblock up and locks in the rack for the submission victory. It looked awesome getting that huge guy up in his shoulders yeah. and getting the torture rack. And I honestly am not sure if those drops were a work to make the final time more impressive or if those were legitimately like just uncoordinated dropping the guy. I'm, I don't either way. I thought it was kind of cool. It looked very uncoordinated. Yeah. To me. And it, and it seemed like at least the first time just with his body language, it yeah. seemed like he was really underestimating the amount of weight that he's bringing up there. And I think probably. that was probably the reason why he dropped him at least once. And, yeah. um, and I think there's a point afterwards where it's like, um, um, Bischoff says, I want like, like, um, I wonder what Arn Anderson's thinking when he saw that. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, it was like, Oh, he better make sure not to be put up in the torture rack three times. <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> then he's in trouble. Uh, so yeah, that was a fine, um, I mean, certainly Roadblock looks rough, mm -hmm. but he's also like, I get you got a big scary monster. Just have him stick to simple stuff and put him in enhancement matches. Like you said earlier, he can be another guy that people can beat on their way to facing the giant. Mm -hmm. um, so that's fine. I didn't have like major problems with it. It was it was fine. Yeah. Well, I, I, the whole match was just a setup to showing that you can torture rack this right. guy. Yes. Um, but also just from a visual standpoint he's easier to look at than ron stud for example right so i would be more than happy if roadblock ended up being the like you said the big man enhancement talent um but yeah he <laughs> he's a huge guy and now i'm just like more interested in him after that backstory that you were saying about yeah <laughs> yeah. His... yeah we should see if we can find a shoot interview with him or something that might be interesting yeah <laughs> that guy sure knows what a plan b option is for him <laughs> We go to commercial, and when we get back, we go to Lee Marshall, who is out for his road report. This week, he's in Phoenix, preparing for Nitro, which will be there next week. Lee mentions that he went to high school and college in the Phoenix area and plugs his undefeated Arizona State Sun Devils. Bobby says that they should leave Lee Marshall out there in the desert. Bischoff then congratulates the Atlanta Braves for a big uh, World Series game win over New York Yankees, which then makes him chuckle at the metaphor of Atlanta beating New York. He gets a little mileage out of saying, like, uh, uh, I could get used to that. Uh, or, like, we see that a lot. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Uh, but maybe it's not a metaphor you want to tie yourself to uh, because the Braves would fall to the Yankees uh, two games to four in that World Series. Yeah. It's like the story of how, like, the, the younger upstart, like, gets a big 2-0 lead yeah. and then blows it. Yeah. And then the powerhouse <laughs> from New York, <laughs> the evil empire, just cannot be overcome. So maybe the metaphor works a lot better than Eric probably intends. <laughs> Out come the American males and then the Harlem Heat for their upcoming match. 
Bobby and Eric talk a bit about Bobby's plans to sit in the luxury box of the president of the American League at Wednesday's World Series game, which makes sense since uh, we've talked about on the show, Bobby is friends with George Steinbrenner, so it makes sense yeah. that he's getting the nice treatment at a big Yankees game. Uh, anyway, here to call Harlem Heat against the American Males is our own great, close, personal friend of George Steinbrenner, <laughs> zombie George Steinbrenner, Yep, Dave Amantor. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, so he didn't mention, I wrote a little bit about like what they were talking about. Um, so, uh, Bobby's going to be in the owner's box for game four of the world series, which will be in two days after nitro in Atlanta. He talks about American league president, Gene budding will be there. Who is the American league president from 1994 until 1999 when the position was abolished. I was going to, that's actually something I was going to ask you on here is, is that still a thing? Like, why would you need a president for the American and national leagues? At this point, they're completely the same thing other right. than the DH bullshit. Yeah. So 1999, both of those presidencies were abolished. So then he didn't said that he might run for commissioner as Major League Baseball doesn't have one. You know, I could not figure out 100 percent what he meant. But the closest thing I could get is that Bud Sealing did the job of the commissioner from 1992 until 1998 without officially being given the title. Oh, interesting. So I think there was a time in which there wasn't, there was technically not a commissioner. Well, there was a thing, and I don't remember all the details. So, uh, but he like owned the Brewers, and he couldn't be commissioner while also being a team owner. But then eventually, the way he got around it is he like sold it, quote unquote, to his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe this was during that time. I, and, I don't know. And probably there was like an emphasis that they didn't have a commissioner because of that whole strike thing, right? So. It, yeah, it was a weird. It was a comment, and I was trying to figure out the answer to, but there, I couldn't find anything that said there was not a commissioner from this time period. Yeah, it, because it, everyone said like Bud Sealing was running the show. Yeah, I certainly remember him as the commissioner during that period. Like, yeah, that's interesting to hear it now because I, I always thought of him as as one. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's get back to wrestling. Let's. And th- another point, where you know, I know it's a gimmick. But WCW continues to look intensely stupid by having Nick Patrick officiate essentially most of their matches. <laughs> yes. It's not even the fact that he's on every show, which in, which in itself should be questionable. But the fact that he officiates almost all their matches, yeah. even though there's like clearly a question. To me, storyline-wise, is like what I mentioned earlier, since he's a senior official, he has too much stroke for them to do anything about. That's the only thing that makes sense to yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Or, or that, like, there's just not enough officials to replace, like, all the work that Nick Patrick does, so they just got to put up with <laughs> yes. him. There's no other expl- – I can't think of an explanation why they keep letting him do important matches all the time. Yeah. Yeah, they're – I wish they had some kind of story, like, that there was a union or something that they just couldn't get yeah. around. Something to explain it. Yeah. Um, And also, which I will I'll, – I'll just keep mentioning until the end of time when it comes to Nitro – I just there's no there's no rhyme or reason on these shows as far as why certain matches are title matches and which ones aren't title matches. Sure. To the point where it's like, why even bother having anything a non-title match? Why not just be like, this is for the titles? Right. Because nine times out of ten, those non-title matches, like the champions, end up winning, unless it's like a story to lead to a title match. Yeah. I just I don't get when matches are, are title matches and which they're not. Especially since, like, we've seen, like, some really bizarre people get world title matches. Yes. On Nitro. Yeah. Like, 
Cobra is the one I always think of. And it's hard to remember the tag team champions being on the show and not being in a title match. Like, it seems like they're always defending. Right. It's very rare that you, if ever, that I, I can't recall a single one. And this is further emphasized for the fact that Patrick presents the title to American males and holds them up for the audience, even though it's a non-title match. He's yeah. presenting like it's... Yeah. I mean, I know the thing was that he was raising the belts and then he had a hard time doing it because his neck hurt. He was playing that thing up. But it still doesn't make any sense. Like, he's right. presenting it like... Like, if you're in the audience, you're probably like, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, I feel like... That will come. That will come up another like few times in the history of Nitro. Yeah, let's get back to some quality matchup, which we start off with Scotty Riggs versus Stevie Ray, and Stevie gains an early advantage by beating Riggs down in the corner. A short comeback is halted by a Stevie Ray standing power slam, a la the Mark Henry World Strongest Slam. Yeah, I couldn't think of. I couldn't find a term for it, so I just need the reference there. Sure. Tags to Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Booker T get the match moving as Bagwell unloads with a hip toss over the top rope, which is not a DQ because of momentum, because um, I believe Bobby Heenan asks that, and then right uh, away, yeah. right away Bischoff's like, oh, no, 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 that's it's momentum. Right. Yeah. And a drop kick when Booker T returns to the ring, and we hit commercial break. When we're back from commercial, we see Stevie Ray give an assist with a knee to Bagwell's back as he comes off the ropes. We also see the Outsiders, who are taking their turn pirating Nitro from the concourse. Stevie Ray is in to continue the Bagwell beatdown, while Booker T calls out the Outsiders, who are also wearing those little Breathe Right strips on their noses, because they're hilarious. <laughs> Stevie Ray with a flying nothing from the top, which is countered by a mid-air dropkick from Bagwell, who I feel like he's done that more than once, like the mid-air dropkick. Yeah. And that... I feel like that's a very underrated move to pull off really well, but it seems like he's he's pretty good at that one. Scotty Riggs is tagged in. He's a house of fire, and before too long, we have mayhem in the ring. While Nick Patrick ushers Bagwell back to his corner, Booker T hits Riggs with a sidekick, and Stevie Ray covers for the pinfall victory. But of course, it wasn't without, I guess, controversy, as Bagwell tries to break up the hole, break up the pin. But um, Nick Patrick still counts three. But Riggs was still, like, pinned on the mat, too. Yeah. So, basically, it's one of those situations where the referee just kind of ignores the interference. Yeah. And just counts the three anyway. Which I feel like is, like, a, a fair thing to do as a referee. Sure. And it kind of just goes along with this uh, this thing where it's, like, Nick Patrick, like, the controversial, quote-unquote, things he does right. are not controversial at all when yeah. you kind of, like, look at it. So it's another instance where it's like, yeah, he just counted the three, which is what he's supposed to do. Right. And now we're acting like it's like a big deal because he should have stopped counting three because Bagwell was in the ring. Right. But the heat yelled at the camera while we wait on a replay of the, quote, controversial ending. During the replay, Bobby calls Booker the other member of Harlem Heat, clearly having forgot his name. Wait, who forgot his name? Bobby Heenan. He's like watching the replay and he's like, Stevie Ray, blah, blah, blah. And then the other member of Harlem Heat gets the pin. It's like, dude, oh, that was <laughs> of all the guys to forget. You forgot the one you should always remember. Eric hears that Sting is in the building, but it may not be what we think. That tease takes us to commercial. When we come back, we see the Fantastics come out, and Eric says apparently that the Sting that's here is the NWO Sting, which we already knew because we already saw him. Mm -hmm. The Fantastics are Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers, James Hines and Thomas Couch, and they've been teaming together since 1984. 
Much like the Rock and Roll Express, who are supposedly the original team meant to wrestle the faces of fear here, uh, according to Dave Meltzer, they spent much of the 80s feuding with the Midnight Express in various promotions, including Mid-South, the CWA, WCCW, and Jim Crockett Promotions. Eventually, they slowed down with Fulton opening his own promotion, though they would still wrestle occasionally all over the world. This is the only televised match they will ever have with uh, this incarnation of WCW, though they do have one more dark match before they go. By next year, they will both have sporadic appearances as singles wrestlers in the WWF's light heavyweight division. Well, right. Out come the Faces of Fear, who today call these two savages from the Isle of Tonga. Mm-hmm. Bobby then calls their family cannibals who jump, quote, from tree to tree. Yep. I was I was wondering when they're coming out, if it's like, are we going to go th- down this cannibal road again? And boy, we do. Do we ever? Meng and the Fantastic with the mullet, uh, they both have mullets. One of them's just a little fluffier. Uh, <laughs> they start off, and Meng dominates with strikes. It's also, they're only going to be on the show once, so I'm not going to bother with a lot of... Yeah, and they're... It, I mean, there's like little differences, but yeah. it's not enough to care. <laughs> <laughs> just not enough to care. Meng dominates with strikes and chops. Bischoff says that Macho is supposed to face Benoit tonight in the main event, but nobody has seen Randy. Eventually, Fantastic Number 1 gets a drop kick and tries a sunset flip, but Meng won't go down. Fantastic Number 2 runs in and clotheslines him down. They double drop kick Meng, and uh, Fantastic Number 1 stays in the ring. Meng... Meng then hits the move of the match, maybe of the night, when he back body drops the dude into the barbarian who catches him, almost loses him for a second, Mm -hmm. but he's so goddamn strong that instead he just powers him up and hits an awesome powerbomb. It's so cool that they managed to hit that. Yeah, and you can tell that that was impressive because like the barbarian kind of hypes up the crowd afterwards too, which is very... Un- unusual for him but yeah yeah i agree that was definitely like the move of the night barbarian then gets a backbreaker as Tanay finally says the names of the fantastics they have not said their names up to this point in the match they've just been the fantastics yeah and he mentions that they haven't been seen in wcw for many years and you may not again says bobby <laughs> <laughs> accurately as it turns out <laughs> man gets tagged in and hits a pile driver he gets a two count broken up by the fantastic number he gets a two count broken up by Fantastic number two. The Faces of Fear continue to dominate as Eric says apparently NWO Sting will now be in the main event of the show. The Fantastics briefly get some offense after a missed Barbarian elbow. The one of these guys that is Tommy Rogers, as is finally revealed by Tanay, gets a dropkick and some other moves, culminating in, a back dub- culminating in a double back body drop on the Barbarian. They follow that up with a double top rope dropkick. Mark Curtis finally forces Bobby Fulton from the ring, and Tommy Rogers tries another top rope move, but this time he's caught in midair by Barbarian. With Curtis distracted, trying to get Rogers out of the ring, Meng kicks the captive Rogers in the head, which gives the Faces of Fear the easy victory. Uh, It was a fine squash. Like, they did some cool power moves. If anything, the Fantastics got too much offense, like, with their five moves of offense. It should have just been a straight just ass-kicking. Yeah, and it was also weird because Bobby Heenan like the whole thing he was playing up was like they should just be happy to get out here and not be in the hospital too long right but like he still is doing that while the Fantastics are like getting the upper hand too right he's he's like that's the story I'm going by I'm sticking to it I'm not gonna I don't care if the Fantastics are getting drop kicks and stuff after a commercial we come back and Bischoff says that he has info from the back and that things tonight are going to be much more exciting than people may expect he keeps getting info from the back 
and either the info is vague or he's being vague. It's unclear. He's like, I've got info from the bat. And he keeps saying it's like, it's not going to be what you think. But you keep telling me it's not. I, I don't know. It's it, The way he's presenting it's very strange. It's weird because it, it sounds like he knows how the whole segment's going to play out. Right. Yes, exactly. And, and, which is like kind of a bizarre, like, you know, um, against kayfabe sort of deal. Yeah. It's like um, Chris Pratt tweeting about Avengers 2 and being like, this one's not going to be what you guys think. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, dude, you've seen it. Like, we'll get there. It's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're already sold on it. <laughs> <laughs> Eric speaks directly to Macho through the camera, of course, uh, apologizing for showing the tape last week. We then get a long replay of Liz's video last week and Randy's meltdown. When it's over, Bischoff says that he feels bad for cutting out Randy's heart, but tonight he has footage that Randy needs to see that shows just how low Hulk Hogan truly is. We go to the ring where some generic rock brings out Nitro main event star Mr. JL. Mm-hmm. Poor Jerry Lynn is in his home state and no one knows it. <laughs> A man called Sting plays and out comes NWO Sting to booze. This whole thing, just going back a, a moment here yeah. with um, Bischoff talking about, you know, he's kind of like, I can't help it. It's my fault that I showed that, like, really yeah. disturbing footage. To him. Yeah. Like, he's like him. The character sounds like I want someone to tell me it wasn't my fault. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though clearly what I showed him was very disruptive, yeah. disturbing and at a very poor time, considering he has like, quote unquote, the biggest title match in the history of WCW coming up in like two weeks. Yes. Well, uh, in maybe not defense of Bishop, but in defense of the story, uh, as we've I think we've spoiled on the show, and certainly I think most people will know. Yeah. Bischoff is in the NWO, uh, so it very well makes sense that he's doing it quite on purpose to fuck with Savage before the match. Right. And then he's just trying to come up with some plausible excuse, like for when he's still being a babyface you know, on TV yeah. to keep people buying it for a little bit longer. Yeah, no, I mean, like, the long-term thing that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's just, like, the way that he's trying to play it off right now, it's, like, it, it doesn't make sense because it's, it's just very, I don't know, just the way that he's approaching it is it's, like, yeah, you know it's your fault. Yeah. Like, what do you what do you want from, what do you want from us? You want us to say it was okay? To start the match, NWO Sting does the patented Stinger face buster that I hate and usually call a shitty bulldog, even though it's really like just a lazy face buster, and beats his chest. He goes for a scoop slam, but JL reverses it and runs around a bit, but NWO Sting gets him with a slam anyway. A Stinger splash sends JL to the mat, and NWO Sting locks in the NWO Scorpion Deathlock. <laughs> Suddenly, the crowd erupts and points to the entrance where Sting, the real Sting, walks out. He's got new face paint, and it's not quite the crow sting that we all think of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's like on its way. So he's got white face paint that comes to points on his chin, but like his goatee area is not painted. Yeah, it, it's like he knows the idea, but he's not 100% committed to yeah. it yet. <laughs> and then the <laughs> he's eyes. Meeting, he's meeting them halfway. <laughs> the eyes are like a thin vertical line that kind of bisect the eye and then go down his cheek. Um, it's just not quite as elaborate. It looks cool. Mm-hmm. I, you get where they're going, um, but it's like he has been off TV since September, uh, like mid-September. Yeah. A little over a month. It seems like they could have finalized this design. I don't know. <laughs> he has black clothes and a long black leather trench coat. The NWO does no move toward, like they don't step to him at all, and he gets in the ring. Sting grabs the fake Sting by the hair and hits the Scorpion Death Drop and a huge elbow drop. 
He hits another, and Eric can't quite figure out why the NWO don't attack him, and Bobby points out that black and white are the colors of the NWO. Stinger, the real Stinger! Eric, Eric, Stinger's wearing black and white, the colors of the NWO! And NWO not making a move to stop what's going on here! And the bogus thing is one of their men! Well, you saw what they did to the nasty. Yeah, we've seen sacri- how loyal they've been before. He's a sacrificial lamb. These guys, NWO, not making a move. Oh. oh, no. Well, you wanted him here, Bishop, and now he's here. But he's not on our side, it looks like to me. We said, Sting, be the leader. Be that man last week. This is not what we had in mind. I had people telling me a little while ago that he was really here. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh-oh, watch this. Watch this. Hold on, hold, no, come on. Warm welcome to the real Stinger. No. He's with him. He is with him. No way. The NWO would like to give you a warm welcome too. We'd like to welcome you aboard. See, we we could use a man like you. No. Whether you realize it or not, or whether WCW realizes it or not, the NWO is taking over. What's that that is a fact. You understand? He's That's not wearing fact, NWO. He's not wearing we your colors. He's not wearing it. that NWO. Look There's at his face. There's nothing anybody can do about it. Look at his face. You see, if you join us, it's not like going to work for any other company. No. Once you join us, then you're like family. You got something to say to Sting, big man? Stinger, if I may quote my most favorite American poet, Jim Morrison. I think it's time you break on through to the other side. Don't do it. I got a couple of questions. I got a couple of questions for Sting. You've been carrying the WCW banner for nine years and doing a great job. What do you got to show for it? We bring him out a bogus imposter and nobody knows about that better than us because we knew it would get to you. WCW tells you to stick it We want you to know we're taking over, and with you, there's no stopping us. You jump NWO, you're NWO for life. Come on, Stinger. Come on, Stinger. He's done. Come on. They brought the devil out of him. He reached down. That right there is your cheap imitation. You get what you pay for, don't you? (laughs) The real sting may or may not be in your price range. But the only thing that's for sure about sting is nothing's for sure. What does that mean? He's a free agent. Sting sets NWO Sting up in the corner for a Stinger Splash. He locks in the Scorpion Deathlock, and finally the NWO hit the ring. 
DiBiase welcomes the real Sting, and the crowd cheers, and the announcers lose their minds. DiBiase says that they could use a man like Sting, and they want to welcome him aboard. DiBiase makes a sales pitch on behalf of the NWO, and then Hall, for some reason, he, like, takes the mic and then says, like, here you go, Big Kev, and just hands the mic to him. <laughs> yeah. like, you don't want to do a promo, I guess? <laughs> no, he's good. He's good. Nash quotes Jim Morrison, asking Sting to break on through to the other side. Uh-huh. Then Hall asks Sting why, after carrying WCW's banner for nine years, what does he have to show for it? Hall says that they have brought out fake Sting to get under Sting's skin and let him know that they're taking over, and with Sting, nobody could stop them. Sting gets a mic and makes me feel like a real idiot because the last time he was on and gave a promo, I claimed it was the last words that he'd say for over a year. Oops. So maybe this is. I guess I no longer know when the last time... I know he goes a long time without speaking, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know when that starts officially. It could be here. I guess I'll have to figure that out. By the way, during this whole exchange of all these guys kind of buttering him up, yeah. I just love the look on Sting's face the whole time. Yeah. He's got like this, this little smirk where he's like, I know what you're doing. I'll play along, but this isn't going to work. This sort of, it's a, it, just the look is like such a perfect like expression. Yeah. <laughs> Sting calls NWO Sting a cheap imitation. He says that he may or may not be within the NWO's price range, but the only thing right now that's for sure about the Stinger is that right now, nothing's for sure. Mm -hmm. Bischoff seems satisfied at, that Sting didn't actually join the NWO. He's like, okay, at least we got that. Sting heads back up the aisle, and the NWO poses to booze. Eric excitedly says that Randy Savage is finally here, right as we go to break. What did you think of this uh, segment here? Um, really, there was no match. It was just a squash on JL. Yeah. And then Sting came out. Poor, uh, poor JL. Yeah, so we haven't, <laughs> seen, we haven't seen Sting in about a month. What did you think about this reintroduction? I, I think that... Um that would be uh, for a catchphrase. It'd be very low on the quality catchphrase if he keeps saying the only thing for sure is nothing's for sure. Yeah. Um, so I hope that's not like a constant thing that he goes back to. Like I said, I I just I really enjoyed the expression on his face because yeah. it, it was like he was almost like like kind of like luring them in to make them think they they had a chance. Right. But really, there was no chance of him like going along with them and and just. I think just the ambiguity of Sting yeah. is works really well at this point. Um, as far as like, all we know is that he's not with the NWO. Right. There's nothing that says he's with WCW because it seems like he's still pissed with them. Yeah. Um, also, I don't know if you saw this, but I mean, because he's been gone for like six weeks or something like that. Yeah. It looks like he might have packed on a little bit of the, a little bit of weight while hmm. he was gone too. Um, I didn't notice that. That certainly will be something that he's accused of by the time we get to uh, Starcade '97 when he has his next match. Yeah, well, let's revisit that in our time, like <laughs> ten years. <laughs> After commercial, out comes Chris Benoit with no women or or any other horsemen around him to take on Randy Savage. Randy's music plays and his pyro goes off, but he doesn't show up for a minute. Which is that's like every time he comes out lately, it mm -hmm. takes him like a minute to show up. After a moment, Randy comes out in what the announcers claim are his street clothes. <laughs> Go on. Black leather pants, a black leather coat, black leather gloves, a big black hat, and mm -hmm. sunglasses. Right. He looks insane. <laughs> He's like a cartoon villain that's going to a funeral or something <laughs> yes, like that. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I like that... 
now now the thing is like everyone wants to look like that they might be joining the NWO. Right. It's like the yeah. trend now. Because you were talking like Sting looking like an NWO member. Yeah. Savage really looks like That's he's true. NWO. That's very true. Eric is in the aisle and he stops Macho Man. Eric apologizes to Randy's face for what happened last week and tosses it to this new footage. Hi, Macho Man and the world of NWO. Hollywood Hulk Hogan, international superstar at your service. Right now we're on the set of the Three Ninjas, and in just a little while, Macho Man, you're going to see Miss Elizabeth's cameo appearance. But right now, brother, I have to have a little talk with my director. Yo, Sean, get a word with you, brother. Come here. Okay. This is the director of the Three Ninja film I'm doing, Sean McNamara. And you know something, hey. brother? We have a little bit of business we have to talk about. Number one, the schedule that you've got me on. I have a lot of other things I have to do other than do your film. Number one, I have other places I need to be. And number two, since my name is on this film and I'm the king of Hollywood, I don't want, it. want one ounce of deficit, one penny over budget. So as of this moment, the NWO is taking over this film, but you need to take a back seat for a moment. Do you understand that? No, I'm not sure what you mean. I'm gonna get the shot up with you next, right? No, no, but you don't understand, you're gonna understand right now. We're taking over, the Giant is going to direct, the Giant's gonna direct, I want to be the producer, and if you have any more questions. I don't have any more questions. Okay. Uh, hi. <laughs> Welcome to the world of Hollywood Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Just watch this guy. Uh, what? Go ahead, give me a measure. Right in the lens on this end. I want you looking right to Randy when we're talking this. Okay, guys, quiet on the set. Rehearsal's up. Paulie, get your marks. Action! Make me believe. Talk to Randy. I said talk to Randy. The camera's rolling. Time is money. I want you to make Randy believe that you love him. Tell him. Please, stop. What is it going to take for you to stop? You I want to see you say, I love the Macho Man. Make a believer out of me. This is going right to Randy. Lead the lamb to slaughter for me. Tell Randy you love him. Please, stop this. Cut. Hope this isn't working. No, we're going to have to have a little talk. Come on. You got the right lens on that camera, boy! You know, you, you don't seem to realize how serious I'm about this thing. We're spending over a hundred grand an hour, and you're out here messing around. I want this done. I want please, it done right. You're gonna have listen. You got one more chance of this thing. I'm gonna cut you a deal, and you make Randy believe please. you love him, even though you don't. When are you gonna stop? Isn't this enough already? Let me tell you something. You talk about ruining your life if you don't do this right. If you don't bring Randy Savage's head to me on a silver platter. You have ruined my life for the second time. Please, you've got to stop. And you do what Hulk Hogan says. When hey, you deal with hey, me. do me a favor. There's a lot of people around here. Take her back to my trailer. Get her back to my trailer. Get back here. I'll be right behind you. Hey, you guys, turn that thing off. What was that all about out there, huh? What, what, what more do you want from me? You've got to leave me alone. You know, Please. first thing, you better quit playing games with me. You're going to learn that you don't embarrass Hollywood out there in front of the cameras, dear. Because what Hollywood wants. Hollywood's gonna get. Right now, I don't believe. I want you to make me believe that you can lie here now. And you better go back out there, look in that camera. Please. That's what I want. Make him believe that you love him. That's what I want from you. Leave me alone. Please. You don't understand. You're almost out of time, and you better listen. I think you're the greatest artiste, the greatest director I've ever worked with. This footage you've put together He's gonna destroy the Macho Man, my friend. You see what I'm picturing right here? Everything that you've done to the Macho Man, it's all the plan for the end of Macho 
Madness. You know, Macho Man, we planned the work. Now we're working the plan. Elizabeth, the cameo role that I've got for her in my film, The Three Ninjas, now that the NWO has taken over, doesn't get it. She needs a little bit more rehearsal time. Now that the giant has my most precious piece of talent, your so-called ex-love, locked up in my trailer, I think it's time, giant, that she gets some acting lessons the Hollywood Hogan way. I'm running a little bit behind schedule. As I talk to Liz, as I lead her down the path, the NWO way, Macho Man, who's she gonna be thinking about? The Macho Man or Hollywood Hulk Hogan, alias Dave Dragon, international superstar? I'll see you in Vegas, Macho Creep. Bye, Macho Man. The footage is in the black and white of the NWO videos, and we see Hulk in costume with a toupee on on the set of Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain. <laughs> By the way, he looks like he's trying to look like the cart like the cartoon um, He-Man. Oh, sure. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, because he has like this cross chest thing that he's wearing that's yeah. like exactly like He-Man. I mean, I... I'll admit I've never seen like the th- any of the Three Ninja movies, so I have no idea. I definitely have seen this, but it's been a long time. Because I just I don't is he like uh, is he supposed to be like a cartoonish villain or something like that? Because he looks ridiculous. As I recall, oh gosh, I'm not gonna remember. I think he's like an he's like an action movie star who turns out to be a villain. They like expose him or something. I yeah. don't remember the first. It's like the first one's kind of grounded where like, sure, kids are ninjas who are kicking people's butt, but it's just like low level criminals. And then by the end, they're on like, you know, insane bad guy fortresses. It's just like it goes off the rails completely. I I also think it's it's a very interesting like decision to make to like show him on set where it's like, hey, look, our champion clearly has to have a wig on in order to look like he's just starting to bald. (laughs) Hulk is talking at a normal volume and tone, apparently not wanting to cut a pure wrestling promo right on the set of his movie. <laughs> like, I think he's a little embarrassed or something. Doesn't want to embarrass himself in front of the, the, front of the other guys. Hulk says that we're about to see Liz's cameo appearance in this movie, and then he talks a bit to the film's director, Sean McNamara, indeed the real director of that movie, about some of his new demands. He claims the NWO has taken over the production, and the giant is now the director. <laughs> Giant scares off McNamara, who is a shitty actor, but it's not his fault. I, like they yeah. put him in this segment. I th- I thought I liked. I thought he was pretty game for the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, he seemed and to be I having like, a fun I like the idea where he's like, actually, I'm the director. This is not how this works. Yeah. But then the giant shows up. He's like, oh, well, well, pl- well put. Yeah. I will. I will just <laughs> fuck right off now. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, like his thing is not acting. It's behind the camera. But yeah. I I thought his part he played. You play pretty well. And also, it's just like, oh, yeah, that's the actual director. He's. They said, hey, you want to be in, like, this wrestling promo yeah, thing? He's yeah. like, sure. Do I? <laughs> Do I ever? <laughs> uh, I looked into his background. He, like, was one of the guys who produced uh, The Secret World of Alex Mack on Nickelodeon, and he's done okay. like, a lot of other kids' programming and movies. So he's um, decent career for I, in that genre I, that he works in. I was going to say, so in the 90s, he's probably making bank. Yeah, yeah, I think he's doing well. Uh, we see the giant then directing Liz. Hogan is demanding that Liz make another video for Randy and the rest of the crew, like the regular Hollywood guys, are just standing around looking annoyed that this is happening. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, that's their character. It's like, okay, you're the cameraman and you're annoyed that Hulk Hogan is making you film Miss Elizabeth. Right. <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny, actually. 
Liz begs Hogan to stop this. He keeps berating her, but it's not exactly... So what's clear is that he made her make the other video. He wants her to make a new video. What's never clear is what he has on her that's making her do this. Mm. She doesn't want to. I don't know if he's just... He seemingly has her kidnapped because they lock her in his trailer at one point. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's just the threat of physical violence or if it's that he's supposed to be giving her parts in Hollywood movies and she's just like really bummed that he's making her do this but she wants those parts it's i think they never explain it yeah, to I, that degree I, I think it's just based on the reputation of miss elizabeth not being a person that ever stands up for herself sure so once like hogan started talking to her it's like oh now now she's just trapped yeah uh so they go to the trailer he keeps berating her and they argue hogan starts rambling to the camera directly to macho man uh threatening you know that he's going to beat him all the standard hogan stuff at one point he he refers to himself by his character's name, Dave Dragon, International Superstar, <laughs> which I think is a good new nickname for you, Dave. Dave, Dra Dave Dragon, International Superstar. Yeah. If I need a nickname that's like <laughs> twice as long as my actual name, that's a good one. Back in the arena, Macho Man and Eric are watching the footage on a monitor. Eric says that clearly Hogan is just using Liz to push Randy's buttons. Asked for his thoughts, Randy stands there a long time staring straight ahead before walking away. Eric starts closing up the show, but Randy eventually turns around. Randy, I think it's real obvious, man. This guy's ego, whatever existed between you and him in the past, I don't know at all. I don't know all the details, but he's trying to push your buttons, Randy. And I think that tape proved it. She's real, man, no matter what he says. Randy, your thoughts. Randy, one time, man. What What's going through your mind? Well, quite obviously, the macho man, Randy Savage, I want to apologize to Chris Benoit. He obviously did not come here ready to wrestle tonight, but Wait you can't blame him either. Wait a minute. Macho, what's going through your mind, man? Come on. Never seen him like this. Well, I've got something to say. Just occurred to me how fragile friendships and relationships can be. And you, Eric Bischoff, you and I both know. How fragile business can be. Even marriage is fragile. But Hulk Hogan, life is fragile. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't Randy, you're not going there. Randy, you can't, you can't mean He means Randy. He means it, Mike. No way. Randy. Eric again offers him the chance to speak, and this time Randy says that it just occurred to him how fragile friendship and relationships can be. And he says that he and Eric both know how fragile business can be. Even marriage and life are fragile. 
Randy walks off as Eric, like somehow Eric seems to have interpreted that as Macho Man, like threatening Hogan's life. Because I think he says it, even marriage is life and and he says Hulk Hogan life is fragile. Yeah, it's it seems like he's suggesting he's in a murder Hogan. Yeah. So Eric is like, oh, no, this has gone too far. Don't go there, man. Yeah. Yeah. Ex- <laughs> that's exactly what he said. Be better than that, macho. <laughs> Don't murder. Yeah. Him. So six days from now, we are going to see whether Randy Savage murders Hulk Hogan <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> at Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. So the the, the thing with the, the video, the NWO video. Yeah. I can't figure out. So what is how are we supposed to be thinking of Miss Elizabeth? Is idea because Hogan keeps saying, convince him that yeah. you still love him. Right. So are we are we supposed to be with the idea that Miss Elizabeth doesn't love him, but she's still like a good guy? Like that's what I'm saying. It's There's such, it's, it's such a mix up of like how yeah. how these like all these characters are supposed to be feeling and how we're supposed to be feeling. About right. Them. It's very clear she doesn't want to make the video. It's completely unclear what her feelings are. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's I, I just I don't know exactly. Maybe they're going to explain this more, but it feels like this is supposed to be the part that explained it. And it doesn't at all. Right. It and just shows that last week's video was something she made under duress. But that's all we know. There's so many more questions that that still raises. And also in, in this video, they're in like the amusement park. Yeah. Or whatever. How do they get from that point to being at the swing that she built that he built for yes. her? <laughs> yeah. Like I, nothing about it yeah. makes any sense no, besides it certainly like, doesn't besides like all we want to do is make sure that you know that hogan hates you which savage knows that yeah there's nothing revealing about this besides like well anything about it, it's like savage knew this information right so i mean like we said before this makes sense from the fact of bischoff really being like an agent for the nwo yes in which it's like his good intentions, he thinks that this is going to help be helpful. Right. But really, it, ju- it just makes him more worked up and more offended and, right. and more, like, emotionally, like, distraught and things like that. So from, like, his actual, like, character's standpoint, that makes sense in the long term. But for tonight, I, on this Nitro, this makes no sense at all. Right. Especially since Bischoff is like, you know, I feel really bad for showing him that video. It seems like it really disturbed him. What I should do is I should I should come back have another video that does the same thing and hope for different results. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so what did you think about the episode overall? Um, yeah, you go ahead first. Um, I, I mean, I feel like it at least addressed a lot of the matches that are going to happen at Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. Yeah. I, I don't feel like I there was really, like, proper, like, hype for any of these matches. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you, like... The other thing is when we get to like these um, go home shows, I'm at the point where it's like I just want this pay per view to happen now. Yes, yeah. Like we don't we don't need any more hype up, but it just they just don't really seem to have a good idea of like how to do hype up for matches. I agree. This was a weird go home show. It was very, I mean, it was okay to watch because it really moved quickly. Yeah. Um, but there just wasn't a ton there. Um, none of. Some of the matches were, like, addressed. Uh, it seemed like they were traveling with kind of a skeleton crew. Because, like, you sure. had um, the horsemen, like, none of them were there. The women weren't there. Just Benoit came out, and that was for, like, a minute. And Flair. You know? Uh, yeah. Oh, that's true. Flair was there. Um, I mean, there's, like, no no Steiner brothers. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, Hogan actually wasn't there. Yeah, Hogan wasn't there. Maybe that's the the big thing that's missing. But 
Um, and then just this angle with with the video. Just we talk every week in this lead up how bad Randy has looked. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing that has made me think that Randy Savage has any chance this week or, or this weekend at Halloween Havoc. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just no reason for me to be interested in that match. Randy's been humiliated by Hulk at every turn. And I believe that we're going to watch that show and he's going to be humiliated by Hulk Hogan again. Yeah. Why would I expect any different from based on what I've seen? Uh, so I just I think the build's been really bad. So even though the show was OK, mm-hmm. I just the whole build to Halloween Havoc 96 has been a substantial letdown. Yeah. But I mean, the fortunate thing is there are like legitimately interesting matches. Yes. At Halloween Havoc that that don't really even need the hype up. Yeah. I mean, we're just talking about the fact that we do. The, the recast for these nitros and that's kind of the purpose is to hype up these pay-per-views yes that's true and these last few weeks i just really haven't done a great job and like you said this whole approach to the world title match is just perplexing especially since we all know we're not gonna get the payoff that we want right um but there are a lot of, there are a lot of those matches on at slim jim's halloween havoc that i'm really looking forward to yeah. like Benoit and Mongo versus Faces of Fear yeah. should be pretty sweet. Yep. I mean, Malenko, Malenko Mysterio always delivers. There's it's happened too much already. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's I mean it always is good. Yeah, and uh, Guerrero versus Diamond Dallas Page should, should be, be a good really match. good match. Yep. yep. Yeah, and uh, I know that you're excited for Harlem Heat versus uh, Hall and Nash. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it, it again, considering that they have like the biggest like um angle like story going on in wrestling it's another few weeks where it kind of feels like they're just kind of spinning their tires in the same place waiting for i think i feel like it is they're waiting for like a legitimate challenger to the nwo sure and right now because like sting doesn't really count until he really like really reveals where his allegiances lie right and everyone else has just not looked up to the challenge. Yes, agreed. So it's, it, and I think they've kind of painted themselves into a corner where they put a lot of guys in the NWO and they just don't have anyone. Yeah. Like they, they're going to have to like f- go find someone or, or, or elevate someone way beyond their, where they're at in order to challenge them. Yeah. But, but right now it's just it, it, like the, there's like kind of this threat of the NWO kind of both in kayfabe and not getting bored right because they don't have a legitimate challenger yeah all right well in our raw recap over on the other channel psycho seed defeated owen hart the godwins defeated the smoking guns triple h attacked mr perfect backstage before their match which would have been mr perfect's match uh return to the ring after a long time collecting on a lloyd's of london insurance policy so uh melter and others have been wondering like is he really going to have a match what's going on here mm-hmm. instead uh hunter Attacked him before the match. Then he instead faced Intercontinental Champion Mark Marrow, who he then defeated for the title when Mr. Perfect interfered on Helmsley's behalf, and it turned out they'd been in cahoots all along. Nice. Uh, But perhaps the biggest thing on Raw, and maybe I'll even throw in an audio clip here. Fred, I know you have a lot to say. We're all wondering if Bret Hart's going to retire. Bret Hart going to come back and answer the challenge of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Are you going to take a front office position? Are you going to make movies? Please tell us what's in the future for Bret the Hitman Hart. And by the way, welcome back. Well, I missed everybody. 
I just want to say that uh, for the past couple of weeks or maybe a little more, I've had to deal with a lot of uh, a lot of things. And uh, well, for one, there was a certain rival wrestling organization that uh, all I could say is they made me a great offer. And they dealt with me with integrity and nothing but an honorable fashion. And I can't say anything bad about anything that they, uh, and how they represented themselves or me. And uh, I was faced with this incredibly tough dilemma that if I decide to go back to wrestling, whether I should in fact come back to the WWF find new adventures somewhere else. Can't believe this is happening. I was a, it was about that long ago that I said, these are my words, I think, that, I, that I'm not greedy for money. I'm greedy for respect. And until you actually have to step into my shoes and make that kind of a decision, when you get offered a, a, a great offer and you have to decide which one you're going to take. And I've done a lot of soul searching. You know, nobody has any idea how much soul searching I've done over this. But when it comes right down to it, to everything I've ever done and everything I ever plan on ever doing, I owe it all to my WWF fans. And I won't be going anywhere. The WWF, well, I'll be with the WWF forever. Whoa. All right. All right. Bret Hart made his return to the show to give a promo announcing that he had turned down an offer from a competing organization to remain with the WWF. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think what's really notable about that promo is in the midst of the Monday Night Wars, uh, he is very courteous and... Um, professional with what he says about wcw in that yeah. promo mm -hmm. um just a real contrast to like what vince and eric are doing back and forth right brett really makes sure to keep all parties happy with him here <laughs> his value system is just very interesting because yeah. wcw was clearly offering him a lot more money yeah but his loyalty which was totally paid back to him yeah <laughs> i know it's really it's i mean we could a whole podcast could just come out every week talking about Bret Hart and the just yeah. all that. And well, I mean, for, I mean, we'll eventually have him yeah. on Nitro, and that yep. would be during the most interesting time to talk about Bret Hart. So we got plenty of time to kind of wait on that. In our ratings roundup, Raw came in with a two point six, and Nitro came in with a three point two, doing three point three in the first hour and a three point oh in the second. So they're still they're still not hanging keeping people on for the second hour. Yeah, I mean that's not a huge drop. Nah, I mean it's yeah, I guess it's a little sizable. Yeah, they're they're still losing viewers uh, in that second hour. Much as Raw these days, like almost every week, loses in the third hour. Mm -hmm. That brings us to a little segment we call "Observe This." 
Due to the ongoing bad blood between Conan and AAA promoter Alberto Pena, all AAA workers working for WCW are now expected to give notice to AAA and instead join uh, Conan's promo Azteca. So that would include Conan, Super Kolo, Rey Mysterio Jr., Psychosis, Juventud Guerrera, and others who have not yet appeared on WCW. Uh, part of part of the disagreement is like a lot of the guys in AAA are mad because they thought like this is going to be something for all of us, mm-hmm. um, but instead Conan has really worked himself into like the intermediary and gets like him and his boys booked, mm-hmm. uh, which is something I know Bischoff has kind of regretted. Like he was given Conan's name as like this is the guy to work with, and instead it created a lot of headaches, mainly headaches in Mexico that were not Bischoff's problem. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's like splitting AAA in half right now. Yeah, and. And that's unfortunate because that that president's like, okay, Conan, you and our best talent, yeah. just go do your own promotion, yeah. yeah, and and earn the money for someone else instead. Halloween Havoc is on pace to break WCW's all-time gate record, with Meltzer reporting that five days left before the show, they've earned one thousand. They've <laughs> whoa, they've earned one hundred seventy-one thousand nine hundred twenty dollars. The current WCW record was set earlier this year. You may remember we talked about that big Buffalo house show. It was like the Illyrio, what was the guy's name? Francisco DePaulo, Nica DePaulo. It was like a memorial show for a Illyrio DePaulo. Okay. Some guy, can, I, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I, just, yeah. I, I honestly don't remember. He was based in Buffalo. He had something to do with wrestling. They did a big house show there that was dedicated as a memorial to this guy, and that was... Uh, to that date, their biggest record, which was 193,456. So Halloween Havoc's looking to break their all-time. It won't be that highly attended. Um, you know, there's just a lot bigger venues in the MGM, but mm-hmm. uh, I think the when uh, in Vegas they can charge a little premium for the ticket, I think, because a lot of the hotels are just going to buy them and give them out to high rollers and stuff. Yeah, and and unless they're like kind of their their makeup or their plan has changed, that's kind of like a bonus for wcw isn't it like they don't they don't have like they don't put a high like amount of their success based on like these gates mm. i don't know that's a good question I, I mean they're definitely more of a tv business than even a pay-per-view or a live event business mm-hmm. um, but i think you know one hundred ninety-three thousand dollars is nothing to especially since what was it i forget if it was last year or this year that actually ends up being their very first profitable year so they they are like every dollar coming in is pretty important to them. Sure. Jerry Lawler is continuing his beef with WCW uh, over on the USWA television show this week. He claimed that Tony Schiavone lied last week when he said that it was the biggest crowd in the Coliseum, and he interviewed some fans who wanted to air their gripes about having their pro Lawler signs confiscated at the door <laughs> by security at Nitro last week. So uh, keep keep on keeping on, Jerry Lawler. <laughs> That, this is the sort of thing where Jerry Lawler's like, I just need to make sure this is still about me to some degree. <laughs> uh, a fan at ECW legitimately hit Devin Storm with their cane and split him open. Whoops. <laughs> oh, oopsies. And that's Devin Storm, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, f- the future crowbar. Yeah. We saw him once on Nitro as Devin Storm as well. Was he, is he, wasn't he like dangerous Devin Storm? Yeah, I think or- so. Yep. We saw him when Dastardly. he came on once. I think he wrestled Sabu. And mm-hmm. then we also saw him on our ECW Hardcore TV episode. He wrestled oh, yeah. um, uh, uh, Spicoli. God, I could not remember his oh, name. Louis yeah. Spicoli. 
Brian Knobs is said to be very unhappy at the angle last week where the Nasties were happy to join the NWO, but then got beat up and made to look like <laughs> fucking morons. Boy, I wonder oh, what his problem was with it. <laughs> Brian Knobs is upset. Oh, no. <laughs> Buddy. Hold, hold everything. <laughs> we got we to gotta figure this out with Brian Knobs first. On uh, some injury news, of course, Flair has surgery coming up. Booker T is battling a back injury. Steiner is dealing with a bad hip. And Johnny Grunge has undergone an operation on his knee. Uh, in our last bit, it's not a really big news week. In our last bit of news, Buddy Lee Parker has apparently dropped the leprechaun gimmick. He's still wrestling. You know, he's still oh, training yeah. guys at the power plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is appearing on some of the BNC shows, or like house shows at least, as Jack Boot. I assume like Jack Boot thugs. That's like a phrase. Yeah. So I think it's a play on that. Whatever it is, it's guaranteed to be better than what he was doing the yeah the leprechaun <laughs> god i'm gonna jack boot wcw let's see if there's even a picture jack, of that jack boot uh oh it looks like he's still kind of a military gimmick so he's not sergeant buddy Lee parker he's jack boot but he comes out in camo with sunglasses yikes no thank yeah. you <laughs> Well, look at that, Dave. We flew through this episode. One thing we wanted to do before we end the show is talk about a little announcement, uh, some changes to the format of the show. Uh, We are going to do our Halloween Havoc episode. It will be our next episode. And you'll hear that that one's going to be a little bit different from our past pay-per-view episodes is we're really just going to cover the matches at the top of the card. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about everything that happens on the show. We'll do all the background and history like I always do. Um, I'll try to find any, you know, read some books, read what Bischoff said, any shoot interviews, but just we're not going to sit there and describe every match move by move. We'll just stick to the upper part of the card. So hopefully that'll just cut down the length of that episode. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to try to record that. I think we're hoping to record that next week was our plan, right? That's that's a hope. Yeah. Yeah, So hopefully you'll hear that about a week after you hear this one. Uh, But then going on in the future, Dave and I realize that it's been a long break and we've had these long breaks before. Uh, What we want to start doing is putting up the show Uh, We want to record every two weeks, but what we're going to do in order to try to give you a weekly podcast that you can listen to is uh, in the future, starting after Halloween Havoc, we will review Nitro, which is our primary function here. That'll be your big episode. You'll get that one week. We'll be the Nitro review. And then everything that comes after that, our raw recap, our uh, observe this, our ratings roundup, we're going to record that in a separate episode, which will then drop the following week. So every uh, we're, so that allows us to record everything in one big chunk, but we divide it in two, and that way every week you're hearing a new episode, uh, but it gives us two weeks to get ready for the next big part where we're doing all our notes for Nitro and everything. Yeah. Uh, so the goal is to get you guys more episodes of the podcast, weekly, reliable content, uh, but not have things be so difficult uh, for Dave and I, uh, you know, just we got we got life. We got video games to play, kid. <laughs> yes, we do. There's plenty of those. <laughs> And uh, I, and I think we're I think we're also pretty open to any suggestions for things outside of just doing the nitro. Absolutely, like, yeah. Like recapping raw, going through observe this. If there's anything like going on in the week of wrestling that maybe you want to maybe if you want us to talk a little bit more about what's happening in ECW, yeah, or just like uh, a general like what's happening around wrestling, yeah. Um, we're certainly we're open to suggestions as far as like other things you would like us to cover during this, yeah. Um, because I, I do think we will need a lo- like a little bit more content for yeah. There'll be mini episodes. They'll probably yeah. come in between a half hour and an hour. I would think most weeks, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to you know the the real corkers that we turn in with the nitro episodes, um, or the pay per views. The pay per views yes, are the ones that are usually yep 
So, um, but yeah, we will. We'll certainly instead of just reading the raw results, we'll we'll try. We we may not every week, but we'll try to watch raw and actually have some insights and thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we'll watch a hardcore TV. We'll definitely. Uh, you know, and observe this, I mostly focus on the American promotions, Yeah. Um, but I'll try to read a little bit more. We'll maybe look at what's happening over in Japan, because I'm certainly interested in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll try to find ways to expand those parts of the show um, so that it, you know, that it's not just, uh, I don't want to dump something that you don't like every other week. I want to make sure that those are their own thing and that people like them just as much as they do when we're actually covering a Nitro. So hopefully yeah. we achieve that. All right. Well... Dave, there's only one more thing we need to do before we sign off, and that is discuss our match of the night, or segment of the night, Mm -hmm. and our MVP. Uh, Let's start with MVP this week, and my MVP is going to be the Barbarian for that awesome uh, powerbomb. No one really stood out that much, so that's really going to allow me to focus just on one guy who did a really freaking cool thing. Yeah. Uh, And God, the way he caught that guy almost lost him, but just on pure strength got him up. For a devastating powerbomb, uh, I'm definitely giving it to the Barbarian. Um, I think I will give mine to the regular, non-bogus, non-NWO version of Sting. Sure. Um, I, I liked his appearance. Um, like I said, I felt like that he he was presenting a lot of um, different emotions just by his expressions. Yeah. And I, I don't really remember Sting being like the most savvy at that sort of thing, especially when it comes to... He gives kind of generic promote uh, promos. Yeah. Um, so I felt like that. That's kind of another layer where it's like he's been gone for a while. He's still gonna be continue to be gone, but you can just tell that like there is some sort of plan that's going on, and he's reveling in the fact that no one else knows what it is. Right. Yes. Um, so I felt like it went off really well. I, I mean, from what I remember back in the time, back in the day, I don't remember this time period of when he wasn't wrestling of him talking a lot. Right. So that was kind of, I know he goes forever without talking. I just don't yeah. know when it starts. And I thought it was that last promo. I honestly wish it had been, I think his appearance here would have been cooler if it had been silent. Yeah. But, and I think you could have conveyed all the same emotions that he did with words without them. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty easily. In fact, he could have just looked at them, thought about it and then left the ring without attacking anyone and just yeah. left it ambiguous. That would have been cooler in my opinion. Like if they would have given him the mic and he would have thought about it yeah. and just dropped the mic, yeah, and then yeah. left, yeah. But I mean, I don't know if that's kind of maybe that would have been a little bit ahead of its time for could be. such a thing. Could be, could but. be asking a lot of your audience. Uh, what Dave was your match of the night or segment of the night? I always, I always say that. Uh, <laughs> I don't really feel like any of those matches stood out as yeah. being really great. Yep. But I just really enjoyed the whole Lex Luger trying to rack sure. Roblox. Yeah. And the fact that, like, it, it seemed like from the start, Luger was like, I am not into this opponent. Yeah, yes. And, and he was, I felt like it was being pretty reckless yeah. with Roblox when it's like he couldn't rack him. He just let him drop. He really did. He, he didn't give Although with shits. that much weight, I don't know that he had much choice. That's true. Uh, for my match tonight, I'm just going to give it to um, Malenko and Jimmy Graffiti. It was fine. All the matches were fine. That was yeah. the most fine yeah, I don't know. Right. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I mean, if you I was, watch the show. If I was gonna, <laughs> if I was gonna rank the matches, that would be like it was the best match. But right. That's not one where I would really ever consider going back and watching or anything like that. But all right. Well, when you hear from us next, it'll hopefully be soon, and it definitely will be Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc, mm-hmm. and that will be right here where the big boys play twenty years.
of Nitro. Oh, it's got a 21-gun salute right there as well. Too bad they missed. 